0: Live from the Denham Theater on beautiful Ogasawara, this is the Monster Island Film Vault Episode 38, Eric Anderson vs. Godzilla vs. Kong kaiju lovers and welcome to the monster island film vault a podcast seeking entertainment and enlightenment through tokusatsu i am your host the conqueror of the conquest nate marchand and today i'm joined by a lifelong godzilla fan and the founder of nerd chapel my old college buddy eric mr anderson Hey, it's nice to be on this
1: monster island. I'm not going to get stepped on, am I?
0: No, 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 no. We took precautions. You're all right. We do have some of the kaiju here for all the festivities, but they're having their own little party and their own little screening of the movie, so you should be okay. All right. Well, that's good. I really don't need to be stepped on tonight. (laughs) Nobody does, let me tell you. (laughs) (laughs) We have to take a lot of precautions to make sure that we and all everyone else here on the island doesn't get stepped on. But out of curiosity, Eric, I gotta know, how did you get to the island today? Oh, it wasn't you today, Jimmy? Normally you're the one getting my guess here. Who is this Jimmy guy? You work with NASA?
1: Oh, you're that old liaison with the Stargate program. Oh, yeah, no wonder you moved on from that.
0: Really, Jimmy? You have connections with the Stargate program? You know a lot of people. Of course you do, Jimmy.
1: Yeah, General Landry and General O'Neill, they don't talk
0: about him. I can understand that. Yes.
1: (laughs) Yes. Trust me, I have
0: to work with him every day.
1: Yes. So I was in the STC, and we have this scientist named Dr. Lee who makes a lot of mistakes and sometimes he has a tendency to use me as a guinea pig without asking me. I was told earlier today that he'd probably be playing around with the Asgard beaming technology from our new ship, General Hammond. Yeah, I found myself on an island looking at a giant... something. It wasn't a squirrel. That's good, because I don't think we have any squirrel kaiju at the moment. Yeah, something giant was there. I was like, I don't know where I am. Yeah, Dr. Lee messed up again.
0: Unfortunately. But it's still great having you here, Eric. I've been wanting to get you here for a while because you and I actually bonded over Godzilla films and all of that back in the day. Yes, and, and Godzilla
1: kind of sat with me through some tough times in life.
0: Oh, yes, I've heard that story quite a bit. Although, it's funny, you were this unwitting guinea pig apparently in this teleportation technology, and trust me, I'm getting to it, Jimmy. We're a little bit leery of teleportation technology around here. Did you hear that it made me a pseudo-sister clone? Wow, that's a really scary thought. Well, to make it even wackier, she's an anime-style magical girl superheroine. And she's best friends with our friend Bex. Hmm, that explains a little bit. It does. Ask Bex about it sometime. It's a wild story, almost as wild as the movie we're here to see right now. Are you pumped, man? I am pumped, yes. Although, as I was trying to say, unwitting subject for teleportation, and you somehow had a tux with you. Well, you realize, first of all, that I
1: I own a tux, I didn't have to rent this. And you realize that sometimes we have very important guests at the Stargate Command, and I'm missing a very important meeting right now.
0: Oh, 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 yeah, I get it, I get it, but come on. This is the premiere for Godzilla vs. Kong. You get to see the movie before everybody else. That's a plus. You're welcome. Just saying. And I'm sorry, I'm, I, I, we can't all be as cool as you, Eric, and just always have a tux on hand. I had to rent mine, I'm sorry, the board doesn't pay me enough that I can actually buy my own dang tuxedo. Mostly because stuff like this doesn't happen very often, let alone do I get invited to.
1: Hmm. Well, you'll just have to start saving little by little for your tuxedo.
0: Apparently I do. Oh, you have one, too? Good for you. I'm glad you didn't have to rent that monkey suit that you're wearing right now. Yes, monkey suit. Jagger has a nice tux, too. Yes, apparently he's quite proud of it. Although, getting that tux size when he's got all those weird singular points, modifications on himself, that was a chore, let me tell you. Well, he just grew into (laughs) it. (laughs) Indeed he did Although I'm not sure he can do that anymore (laughs) But as you can see and hear Kaiju lovers After redoing my podcast schedule Five times uh, We're coming to you From the special red carpet premiere As we've already been saying Of Godzilla vs. Kong Yes, the Kong quest Is finally At an end Jimmy, you're just salty. It wasn't in November like you were saying for months. Those of you who don't know, that's my intrepid producer running the camera and mics, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, I've been picking his brain about the battle in the stars.
1: Yeah, I know. Never get into a war in space with Asia. Hey, I've traveled all over the world, but I've never been to space, just to a couple other planets
0: through a stargate, so that's not quite the same. Can you get me into space? Save it for later. Miss Perkins, the executive assistant for the Monster Island Board of Directors, is ushering the special guest down the red carpet. I hear she's been organizing this event for months. Hey, it's the British Samurai, James Conrad. Is that our money? I can't tell. But he looks good. And Dr. Amy Franklin, the inventor of the huge artificial heart that revolutionized kaiju medicine. And she's wearing a beautiful black lace dress. Hey,
1: Nate, it's that wonderful couple Rod and Bonnie Driscoll. Rod is the great-grandson of Van Darrow and Jack Driscoll, and Bonnie is the great-granddaughter of Carl Denham. Those families have been
0: friends for almost 90 years now. Can you imagine that? That is astonishing, Eric. And thanks to them and a generous donation from Denham University, the island was able to build this state-of-the-art theater in the elder Denham's honor. Oh, man. I see my pseudo-sister Jessica fangirling in the crowd, which means the most anticipated guests of the night are arriving. Kongs, queens, not to be confused with a certain unofficial Kong, these are the surviving women who have captivated the Eighth Wonder over the years. They're being led by Susan Watson, now Nomura, along with her husband, Jiro. Mrs. Nomura is the UN nurse who first sympathized with the big ape and helped change public opinion about him. She's still rocking those go-go boots. And there's Dwan Prescott,
1: escorted by her husband, Jack. Khan helped jumpstart her acting career back in the
0: 70s. And Mason Weaver, whose photos of Skull Island are displayed in the Monster Island Unnatural History Museum. Ooh, Fumiko Fujita,
1: formerly Sakurai, and her husband, Kazuo. She was carried by Kong to the top of the Diet building in Tokyo. Uh, it's good to see her here when she's the one in the group who didn't have a good experience with Kong. And she's aged very gracefully. And there's the
0: lady of the hour, Gia, the little iwi girl from Skull Island, escorted by her adoptive mother, Dr. Eileen Andrews. Gia's deaf but speaks fluent sign language. What makes her unique is she taught Kong how to sign. Like George from Rampage? (laughs) Not quite. But hot dang, Eric. Kaiju fans wondered if GVK was only a fever dream, but it's finally here. The rematch nearly 60 years in the
1: making. Uh, yes, I'm so excited. This is going to be beyond epic. Are you Team Godzilla or Team Kong? Godzilla's my buddy, man. I mean, I've met the personal trainers for both of them. I'm not sure which was the personal trainer for which one. You know, they took a day off of school and I subbed for one of them last week because they needed to get both of them prepped for the big fight. But Godzilla, he sat with me the night after a family member died. So, you know, I'm Team Godzilla.
0: I can understand. I will admit, normally, I've said this before on another episode, and let me tell you, it was a wee bit controversial with some of my podcast friends. I said that as much as I love Godzilla, he's my boy. But I gotta say, going into this movie, maybe I'm just getting suckered by the advertising. But I I think my sympathies lie with Kong a little bit. He's the underdog in this fight, let's be honest. And I'm a little bit of a sucker for the underdog. Well, from what I hear, he's planning on hiding behind an axe. You know, but,
1: Godzilla doesn't really need to hide behind a weapon.
0: That's because Godzilla is a weapon. All he has to do is open his mouth and let the atomic morning breath do its job. I'm just saying. Well, And, and I've, I've tried to mention to him that the spine on his back
1: would make a great weapon. He just has to back into someone super hard. and <laughs>
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, you've seen those thick thighs? I'm not sure he's uh, he quite has the backward leaping ability that his buddy angerus has. I'm just saying. <laughs>
1: Uh, and Gryas can do the backwards leap pretty well.
0: Yes, uh, I've seen him do it a couple of times here on the island while I'm archiving the scientific footage that's recorded from all the scientists with their cameras and everything. So I've seen the kaiju do some strange things. Or should I say titans? We, uh, we go back and forth sometimes. Sometimes it's kaiju, sometimes mm-hmm. it's titans. Eh, no one can really agree. The monarch guys love using the word titans. I don't know. I I hear Godzilla's a little more friendly to Kaiju, but he puts up with Titan
1: just because he doesn't want even more fights in his life.
0: Yes, he already has to deal with enough. And right now, both Kong and Godzilla are a little bit salty because uh, the Monster Island Board of Directors and their infinite wisdom decided to declare Gamera King of the Monsters, and not either of them. Because Uh, apparently they can do that. That's very rude of them. Yes, let me tell you. The only person that who's been happy about that is Gamera. Yes. All yes. right, but we'll be going into the theater here momentarily to see the film. In the meantime, you'll hear me read Jimmy's entertaining info dump, which I'm contractually obligated to read. Admittedly, the podcast version will have some updated info compared to what everyone hears during today's live broadcast. Not only that, I'll be out from under the non-disclosure agreement the board's Attorney General Raymond Martin made me sign about tonight's event. Our Toku topic has less to do with the film itself and more to do with the circumstances surrounding its production and release. I'm, of course, talking about the movie theaters versus streaming services debate. I have opinions. Save it for the show, Eric. Right now, to the theater! Ungamunga. Kong is a homesick and protective gorilla-like titan seeking a new home after Skull Island is ravaged by a perpetual storm. He exhibits anthropomorphic intelligence at points by using weapons slash tools and communicating via sign language. As another alpha titan, he refuses to submit to Godzilla, requiring him to defend himself and others against the king of the monsters. Godzilla is a brutish and aggressive force of nature, although he does exhibit some anthropomorphic personality traits like cunning and rage. He's provoked to war when he senses Apex is using Ghidorah's skull to construct a new weapon to kill him, making him lash out in self-defense. He stalks and battles Kong to assert his dominance as the Alpha Titan. The violent and sadistic Mechagodzilla is the aforementioned weapon built by Apex, While at first simply a titanic tool, it becomes self-aware, presumably thanks to the Ghidorah brain inside it, kills its creators, and escapes the Apex facility in Hong Kong to kill Godzilla. A pair of vicious Warbats, or nozukis attack Kong in the Hollow Earth, most likely to eat him or defend their territory. Ravenous Hellhawks attack and kill the human interlopers for food in Kong's temple. One aggressive Skullcrawler is killed by Mechagodzilla to test the robot's power usage. Other monsters seen in the movie include the Leaf Wings in the Skull Island Habitat and the Hollow Earth Crabs and Hollow Earth Lizard, a.k.a. Doug. Team Kong consists of the determined Dr. Nathan Lind, the compassionate Dr. Eileen Andrews, and her adopted daughter, the kind deaf Iwi girl, Gia. Lind is charged by Apex to have Kong lead them to the Hollow Earth to find a power source that will help the cybernetic company defeat Godzilla. Andrews, who has spent a decade studying Kong, advocates for the Big Ape and serves as a translator for Gia, who acts as Kong's liaison. Team Godzilla consists of high-strung conspiracy theorist Bernie Hayes, the independent Madison Russell, and the down-to-earth Josh Valentine. They infiltrate and investigate Apex to learn why Godzilla is attacking the company's facilities. Madison believes Godzilla has good motives for his actions, while Josh tries to be a voice of reason. Team Apex includes its charismatic CEO Walter Simmons, the cold and calculating engineer Ren Sarazawa, and Walter's arrogant daughter Maya Simmons. Walter oversees the construction of Mechagodzilla with Ren as its pilot in an effort to make humanity the Apex species once again. Maya accompanies Team Kong in order to acquire the power source that will perfect the giant robot. From the outset, the human and kaiju plotlines are unified. In fact, Kong and Godzilla are essentially the movie's main characters with the human serving as the supporting cast. Godzilla is seen as the problem for most of the movie, but in the end it becomes Mechagodzilla. Godzilla attacks an Apex facility in Pensacola, Florida to find Mechagodzilla's eye, but he is unable to destroy it. Team Kong attempts to transport the 8th Wonder to Antarctica to enter the Hollow Earth, but Godzilla intercepts them. Godzilla nearly drowns Kong before being disoriented by depth charges. The remaining Navy vessels then play dead by shutting down their power, and Godzilla swims away. Team Kong and Maya follow Kong to a temple in the Hollow Earth, where Maya samples an energy source and sends it to Apex, who synthesize it and activate Mechagodzilla in their Hong Kong facility. This attracts Godzilla to the city. Kong and his team ascend to the surface after Godzilla blasts his atomic breath all the way to the Hollow Earth. Kong battles Godzilla for two more rounds. He wins the second, but is left for dead by Godzilla after the third. Lind explodes a heave on Kong's chest to defibrillate him. Mechagodzilla gains self-awareness, kills Walter Simmons, and attacks Godzilla. The problem is solved when Kong attacks Mechagodzilla, and with an assist from Godzilla, decapitates the rogue robot. Afterward, Kong then refuses to fight Godzilla, who leaves out of respect for the big ape. The script by Eric Pearson and MonsterVerse regular Max Borenstein, with a story by Terry Rossio, Michael Dougherty, and Zach Shields, is simple in concept, let Godzilla and Kong fight, but has three subplots running concurrently until they come together in the movie's final moments. Various sources have estimated the movie's budget to be around $155 to $200 million. Multiple special effects studios, including Industrial Light and Magic and Weta Digital, created the movie's top-notch visuals. One key difference, though, was motion capture wasn't used, unlike in previous MonsterVerse films. Because of this, Godzilla Kong and Mechagodzilla have less weight to their movements, but each hit they land still has impact. Regardless, all three of them are highly expressive and emotive, especially Kong. The lighting is among the best in a Hollywood blockbuster, particularly in the neon-saturated nighttime battle in Hong Kong. Kong himself was redesigned slightly with a beard and a few gray hairs, while Mechagodzilla looks similar to the Bayformers-esque design used in the 2018 Ready Player One movie. The CGI used for the other creatures, the vehicles, and the Hollow Earth are spellbinding. Despite some minor flaws, it's arguably the best these kaiju have ever looked on screen. This is a fun and relatively light-hearted movie with a moderate amount of gravitas since the threats posed by the Titans are taken seriously. With the fantastical Hollow Earth and the outrageous feats committed by the monsters, this is a science fantasy movie in the vein of Jules Verne and Edgar Rice Burroughs. The movie is experimental in the sense that it makes Godzilla and Kong the main characters, which is something that hasn't quite been done before to this extent. It's easily the most outlandish movie Kong has ever been in, what with him literally journeying to the center of the Earth, which makes it experimental as a Kong film. Regardless, the movie reinforces the style of 1962's King Kong vs. Godzilla with the titular titans battling each other. It also reinforces the styles of several entries in the Millennium Godzilla series with its breakneck pacing, outlandish technology, and everyman protagonist and the previous MonsterVerse films by maintaining its continuity and themes while allowing director Adam Wingard to bring his trademark style to the movie as previous directors in the series have done. The movie was made as the culmination of the MonsterVerse films, serving as its equivalent to Marvel's first Avengers movie. It was meant to be an entertaining action-adventure that appealed to general audiences as well as kaiju fans. Interestingly, due to being released while theaters were slowly reopening amidst the COVID-19 pandemic, it served as a much-needed escape for moviegoers. As of this broadcast, only its first week gross is available, but it is the biggest movie premiere since the start of the pandemic. It opened in 38 countries outside the U.S. March 26, 2021, grossing $70 million in its first five days. It premiered in 2,409 US theaters, increasing to 3,064 by that Friday and on HBO Max March 31st, grossing $48.5 million in its first extended weekend. It was projected to make $23 million compared to $68 million in the pre-pandemic marketplace. This brought its total to $298.6 million. 3.6 million households watched the movie on HBO Max during those first five days, making it the most-watched film or show on the streaming service since it launched. According to the Twitter user What's on HBO Max, this brought in an additional $52 million. The movie needs to make $330 million to break even. It currently has a 75% critic score and 92% audience score on Rotten Tomatoes and a 6.8 with 83,809 ratings on IMDb. While generally liked by kaiju fans, it has been a bit divisive. There are several forces at play. Civilization clashes with nature as seen with Apex Cybernetics building Mechagodzilla as a way to put humanity above the Titans, which incurs the wrath of Godzilla. The company's veiled goals put them at odds with the more altruistic Team Kong, who want to protect Kong from Godzilla and help him find a new home. Truth and falsehood, as represented by Team Godzilla and Apex, respectively, conflict as Madison and company investigate the secretive corporation. Godzilla's hate and Kong's pride bring them to blows as Godzilla tries to assert his dominance over Kong, who refuses to bow. This rivalry is said often to date back to ancient times. Ghidorah's mind reasserts itself within Mechagodzilla's Matrix, defying and destroying the machine's creators who seek to exploit him. There are several themes to mind from this deceptively simple movie. Kong's hero's journey shows the importance of companionship, home, and heritage. The Eighth Wonder is unhappy without someone to connect with, and he finds a kindred spirit in Gia, who is the last of her people just as he is the last of his kind. With Skull Island destroyed, Kong finds a new place to call his own in the Hollow Earth. By discovering he comes from a long line of Kongs who live there, he gains a newfound purpose. However, he puts aside his pride by dropping his axe and refusing to fight Godzilla. Godzilla, on the other hand, lets go of his hatred for the defiant Kong after the Big Ape saves his life against Mechagodzilla. He twice spares Kong's life... Presumably, leaving him to rule the hollow earth while he rules the surface. The downfall of Apex shows the folly of humans trying to control forces greater than themselves. Bernie being right about Apex shows that even the craziest minds can see the truth when others don't. With my contractual obligations fulfilled, it's time to complete the conquest with some toku talk. <laughs> Well, Eric, that was an experience. <laughs> At least it was for me. <laughs> what was it like for you? It was amazing. <laughs> I, I Actually, this is the first time I have gone to the denim and actually watched a movie there. I was shocked to see what they've done with this theater. I mean, it looks like it's straight out of the 20s or 30s. But the screens and the sound system are all modern. It was big. It was bombastic. I think those screens had to be IMAX size. So that was insane, which only makes sense. I mean, we're on an island full of kaiju, giant monsters. So why not have giant screens?
1: Well, and I mean, the columns and the architecture were just ridiculous. I can't imagine how many months it took to do all the detail painting on that.
0: Oh, I'm sure. But that's why we had that generous donation from Denham University to make it all possible. The only downside is that you and I have to come back here and broadcast about it from the radio station while everyone else is having a good old time over at the after party, including the kaiju, I might add. You know, I have cup holders here. I got my drink left over from the movie and there's no cup holder. Right, Jimmy, you get on that. Yeah, you know, if, if we had Jet literally punch a window into existence here. So you've got that nice little panoramic view of the night sky and the ocean and everything. Thanks to Jet. Yes, be proud of yourself. Can you punch cup holders into existence? Actually, it's a good point. That might not be a good idea. You might break the table, and this is an expensive table. Yeah, that might be better to have a craftsman
1: do something like that. Yes. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Like I said, you get on that, Jimmy. So out of curiosity, going into this movie, I mean, you've been well aware about all the hype and everything going into this. This might be the biggest kaiju release of our lifetimes. (laughs) The hype was real, my friend. But what were your your expectations going into this? And how do you feel coming out of the theater? I was going in expecting some big brows, which we got. Yes. I mean, it's in the Uh, title.
1: (laughs) Yes, yes. Hoping to find out more about the Hollow Earth, and we did.
0: Yes. Did you know we actually have one of the passages into the Hollow Earth is here on the island.
1: Yes. I hear that you have a tendency to fall down into them and and not come
0: out for a few months. Who is starting these horrible rumors? Because they are patently untrue. Mm Mm-hmm. Sure. Although our friend Dallas may have fallen into one of them because he did wander around the island for a little while.
1: Yeah, maybe he went down to evangelize down there.
0: Evangelize who? Doug the lizard? <laughs> the lizard who's eating you the care crabs? do Doug the lizard? Yeah, yeah. Uh, we're well aware of Doug the lizard. So now they're actually sending a team down there shortly, I think within the next week or so, to see if they can find Doug and bring him to the island because they think he's going to be a nice little attraction here.
1: Attraction? What is this? Jurassic Park, like, ten times bigger? Yes. Where have you been? <laughs> I didn't know they let people on the island. You know, I thought it was supposed to protect people, not put them in the danger being stepped on and whacked with giant tails.
0: We have plenty of security. We know about our competition, Jurassic Park, and their poor history with safety, and we made sure that none of that happens here. Trust me, we took precautions. But anyway, so yes, we saw more of the Hollow Earth. What else were you hoping to see? I was
1: hoping we'd get some intervention by one or two other kaiju in the fight to make things a bit interesting. Mm -hmm. And one thing we kind of knew was happening did kind of bring a bit of that, but it wasn't so much during the fight. It was more after the fight.
0: Yes. The kaiju you are referring to is, of course, Godzilla, the worst kept secret of all time. (laughs)
1: Yeah, they really could have kept it a better secret It should have.
0: Well, that's partly due to the fact that this movie got delayed, like I said, about five times, but everything else associated with the movie did not get postponed because it was supposed to be out this time last year. So they had already made deals with toy manufacturers. They were still operating under the idea that the movie would have been out by, like I said, by this point last year. And unfortunately, the Mecha Godzilla toy got leaked. Did you leak it? I can neither confirm nor deny that I may have leaked the Playmates Mecha Godzilla toy.
1: Jet Jaguar, you need to do a better job keeping him reined in. Just saying.
0: Jimmy just said that that's what he should have done. Oh, shut up, Jet. Ugh. Stop agreeing with Jimmy so much you're like two pegs down okay Jimmy's my sidekick and you're Jimmy's sidekick okay you're the sidekick to the sidekick you know have fun with that but yes Mechagodzilla so did you get what you were expecting with Mechagodzilla
1: yeah I expected it to take both of them to take him down and it did take both of them to take him down although they did it in a different way than I might have thought see
0: maybe we should since we're on that subject let's just get into that because sure I know that there were people who were wondering, because there's been a lot of theorizing online about what was going to happen with that. And a lot of people thought that the fight between Godzilla and Kong was going to turn into a tie, and then it was going to be them teaming up against Mechagodzilla. Mm -hmm. And I would argue it's not quite a team-up. It really doesn't strike me as a team-up. It struck me more as Godzilla goes to pick a fight with Mechagodzilla, Mechagodzilla kicks his keister, Kong runs in there. He picks a fight with Mechagodzilla. Godzilla tries to help a little bit, but gets smacked around. And then Kong finishes the fight with a tiny bit of help from Godzilla. That was about it. Godzilla was on the ground and he just powered up the axe and Kong smashed the axe into Mechagodzilla. And then (laughs) did his little Mortal Kombat fatality because it literally looks like Sub-Zero pulling out a guy's skull (laughs) with the spine hanging out a little bit. And he's like, he throws it down. Yes. So
1: I would say that Kong was kind of pissed to go help from Gia because he did go and, and tell him to go help. I don't know if Kong saw it as helping Godzilla or just taking down another big nasty Godzilla definitely did very little once Kong entered things. He just powered up the axe and then sat down and said, "Okay, I'm just going to watch."
0: But how nerdastic was that? We're yeah. watching a movie where King Kong is fighting Mechagodzilla. This is the it- stuff of insane fan fiction, but it's canon.
1: <laughs> yes. Kong has an axe. He is ripping apart a giant robot with the axe and shredding it and cutting it. (laughs) And he is having quite a good time doing that. (laughs) And I have to wonder what was going through Godzilla's mind if he was sitting there and he's like, you're enjoying this a
0: little too much, buddy. (laughs) What was that again, Jet? Oh, you you didn't really appreciate the rampant robot abuse at that point. I can understand. But thankfully, we don't have that version of Mechagodzilla here on the island. We have Kiryu. That's an interesting case, although this Mechagodzilla and Kiryu are pretty similar, except in the case of Kiryu, he has to get weekly visits from Reverend Mafune, the chaplain here on the island, because the poor thing suffers from a lot of depression. But when you're a robot with a cloned Godzilla brain stuffed into a mechanical shell, you probably have issues. yeah. Which we got a little bit of that here today. I've actually heard some people say that this Mecha Godzilla is also kind of Mecha King Ghidorah. Yeah, I would
1: say that there was some reason to say that because they were using one of Ghidorah's brains. Now, the one thing that seemed, if you want to go into that aspect, the one thing that seemed a bit foggy to me was is this the head found by the terrorist in King of Monsters? And if it was, how did this guy get his hands on it
0: that is a very excellent question and it is actually one of my issues with the film because i really do think that should have been more clearly explained it really should have i had to put two and two together i'm just assuming that that is the severed head that alan jonah bought during the post credit Mm -hmm. scene
1: Yeah, that's what I'm assuming, because it looked like there were no heads left over in Boston after they fought in Boston, but it's possible that was just out of view as well.
0: Possibly, but I think the idea is that it's supposed to be that, and I really think there are a few script issues with this thing, and one of them was, they should have made that clear. That could have been fixed with one line. I would have preferred actually seeing Alan Jonah, seeing Charles Dance uh, in the movie, Maybe actually, actually, sell- yeah, I was too. actually selling the thing to him, but we didn't get that Walter Simmons. He could have just said, yeah, we bought the skull from see. I you know, I don't think him. they
1: would have bought it from him. I think they would have taken it from him.
0: Really? Because they established in King of the Monsters that he sells this sort of stuff because there's a black market for it. Hmm. So I was just assuming that they got it from him. Yeah, I just you know, I mean, you know that you know those eco terrorists. You know, like you know, the plant, so. you know if money uh, money trumps a lot of things, and uh, I'm sure Alan Jonah would have appreciated a large sum of money.
1: <laughs> As would anyone.
0: Yes, but you know what makes it kind of funny? If you really stop and think about it, did you know that that Ghidorah head was nicknamed Kevin? Who nicknamed it Kevin? The director, Michael Dogerty. He was actually asked on Twitter, did you give the Ghidorah oh, okay. heads names when you were working on the movie? And he said, yes, Ichi, Ni, and San, a.k.a. Kevin. And then the fans all latched onto that, and there were Kevin memes and everything. And the Kevin head is the one that is really curious and is a little bit goofy. And he, he's like, what's this? I've he seen those, sniffing? I just
1: never saw anyone put Kevin with
0: that. Oh, okay. That's interesting, because that was the head that Godzilla bit off. That was the head yep. that got found by Jonah and then sold to Apex and then turned into Mechagodzilla. So I have been saying, you could arguably call this movie Godzilla vs. Kong, The Revenge of Kevin. Because <laughs> that's what it is. That is the Kevin Ghidorah head ticked off because now he's like, I'm in a robot body. I'm getting out of here. Oh, look, it's the lizard who killed me. <laughs> yeah. Let's see how you like the kiss of death. That was wonderful. <laughs> he looks like he's actually going to do the same thing that Godzilla did to the Muto. Yeah, the he was trying. He
1: was trying to do that. That's
0: oh my gosh. Uh but yeah, so, oh man, it's interesting what they did with this. I mean, I went into this unsure that Wingard could actually do this. Admittedly, I'd only seen one of his movies before, and that was the Netflix Death Note movie, which I absolutely despise. And after I saw, like, oh, good grief, this guy's doing Godzilla versus Kong, I'm suddenly worried. But he proved me wrong. He proved That's me good. wrong. <laughs> I'm yeah. Really, I'm really happy with this. How did you feel about the Mecha Godzilla design in this? It's a little bit unusual, I think. It's a little unusual,
1: it's almost a little too blocky. You could tell it was basically a lot of smaller parts put together, mm-hmm. rather than a strong arm. Yeah, so it seemed more clunky to me than
0: it did. That. I'm also not a fan of the claw machine hands. <laughs> yeah, yeah, those yeah. look weird to me. It's like those don't look practical. What's he gonna do with those? You know, I, just, ah. yeah, I mean,
1: they could have given him weapons in where the hands would have been, or
0: like the the original Mechagodzilla yeah i mean the original mechagodzilla is a little bit clunky too but he has a lot of really sharp angles on him as well yeah well see he moved clunkier
1: but this guy looked clunky like he was just yeah and it was like a garbage pile put together whereas the original mechagodzilla was very clean looking and very
0: yeah cleaner i would say kiryu is probably the most streamlined out of all well no the one from the Heisei movies is probably the most streamlined, but Kiryu is personally my favorite design because it took the best elements of both of those designs and melded them together, and it just looks really cool. Looking cool is good. Yes, yeah. looking cool is very good. It actually also looks a bit like, have you seen Ready Player One? It's Yeah, yeah. Yep, it I it looks movie, a little yes. bit like the Mechagodzilla design in the movie. Not the yeah. book. In the book, it was just Kiryu. But it looks a bit like that design, although no claw machine hands. But (laughs) all we needed him to do was to walk over to a big rubber alien and grab it and hear it say, The Claw! (laughs) 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 And he could throw him at Godzilla and Kong. (laughs) Yep. Maybe we should try that sometime. No, Jimmy, I don't recommend that you put Claw Machine Hands on Kiryu. That would be very, very unkind of you. Very rude. Although, yes, Apex should have consulted with you on this design. Although, honestly, after seeing this movie, I'm not sure we should have any dealings with Apex. I'm just saying. One of the things that
1: I'm wondering is Kyle Chandler's character. Mark Russell.
0: I've met Mark here. He stops by at the Monarch Outpost here on occasion. Yes. In fact, he Uh, brought Madison one time, and she smashed the orca. That was rather rude of her. Yes. Jimmy spent months trying to fix it. Smashed it with a hammer. Well, Mm -hmm.
1: don't forget what her experience was. Yes. I mean, she probably did it for all of those who lost homes in many many cities.
0: Well, yeah, but that's why Japan was the first country to start offering kaiju insurance because we all know this stuff happens.
1: Yes. Anyway, you were saying. I was saying. We told Madison that what Apex had going on was the best thing they had to try and connect with the Kaiju or...
0: The Titans. ...live with them.
1: With the Titans and live with them. And I'm not sure what he thought they were doing because clearly that's not what they were doing.
0: No, it's not. And while we're on the subject, I'm going to bring this up. The whole reason Mechagodzilla is constructed goes back to one of the tried-and-true themes of the MonsterVerse movies, which is the idea... And the name of Walter Simmons company flat out says it. He wants humans to be the apex yep. species again. Yep. <laughs> Should have had some more coffee on your way here. <laughs> no. It's all, it's been a long night, man. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, we sat through the movie and we yeah. had a
1: host beforehand.
0: Yeah. And so that's the whole idea. They're trying to put humans back on top by building their own Kaiju. And trying to exploit another titan that they really shouldn't be trying to mess with. I'm just saying, with King Ghidorah. And that backfires on them. And it goes back to what Dr. Sarazawa, not Ren Sarazawa, but Ashiro Sarazawa said in the first movie, where he said, The arrogance of man is believing that nature is in our control and not the other way around.
2: Right. Yeah.
0: And the idea being. Why are you trying to meddle with forces beyond your control? And now you're trying to assert yourself and make yourself more powerful. Now, this is done very naturalistically in the movie, but one of the things I like about the MonsterVerse is that it blurs that line between science and mythology yeah. and likes to present these Titans. I mean, even their name has religious overtones, mm-hmm. Yeah, especially when you start looking into mythology. So I tend to look through this through a spiritual lens, and trust me, I've had plenty of conversations with Reverend Mifune about this. You could interpret what they're doing in this as basically mankind's attempt to control the gods or God himself, because who's really in charge of the natural world? Who dictates what things like the hurricanes and the tornadoes and all that? It's God. So they're trying to say, no, we're going to be in charge. We're the ones who are going to dictate what happens? You know, it's almost like a Tower of Babel sort of a thing. You it know, is. Mechagodzilla yeah. is the Tower of Babel. <laughs> Let
1: yeah, that sink in for you, folks. And it doesn't work very well.
0: <laughs> no, <laughs> just a- like the Tower of the original,
1: Babel doesn't work out. At least with the original Tower of Babel, you know, we got a bunch of really cool languages <laughs> and different cultures. With this. We just got another section of Hong Kong just obliterated.
0: Oh, yeah. And they had barely recovered from that whole Pacific Rim incident. I'm just saying. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yes, I've been seeing some chatter online already, online about the movie. And I think people are underestimating this. I feel like they've underestimated a lot of the other, uh, basically all the other Monsterverse films. Again, like I said, it's the tried and true theme of the series, but it's still an interesting one. I would also say, since we're on the subject of themes, and we're going to be all over the place with our discussion of this, is family. And family has also always been a big thing in the MonsterVerse films. In the first movie, it was about a young man trying to get back to his family and having to deal with his dad and his dad losing his wife. Then Skull Island, to a certain extent, is still about family because Kong is the last of his kind, and his family died, and... Mm-hmm. Now he protects the Iwi as kind of his new family. King of the Monsters, it's all about family because it's about a broken family basically playing out their issues on a grand scale with their son dying because of the Titans and then the mom basically trying to save the world from the Titans so nobody will go through what she went through with the death of her son and all of that sort of stuff. And then there's a little bit of reconciliation at the end and all of that sort of stuff. And then we have it again here. And I wish this had been more than just one line in this movie because they said, oh, you know, that perpetual storm that was around Skull Island and kept people from going there. Oh, it moved inland and it wiped out the iwi. That's all we get. We get one line of dialogue that's, oh yeah, that's happened in the last 50
1: years. See, I did not even hear the part of the storm. I just heard something about the iwi being wiped out and that kind of upset me. I'm like, wait, they just killed the iwi like that? Like-?
0: Apparently they did. And Kong was only able to save little Gia. So it had to have happened recently. Because Gia is only, I think, about eight years old. Yeah. And Kong was only able to save her. And Dr. Andrews adopted her. And I guess that's when she learned sign language. And then bonded with Kong because he saved her. So, again, you have that theme of family. And even though I don't think you want to talk about surreal, it's not every day I get to watch a kaiju movie, let alone any movie or any media period, that actually has a character that shares my name. (laughs) Dr. Nathan Lind. <laughs> it was a little weird when you got to the end and you had the POV shot where Dr. Andrews is asking, Nathan, are you all right? You were there. I was talking back to the screen <laughs> in the theater saying, like, Yeah, I'm okay. I'm right here. <laughs> no, he needs help. He needs help. <laughs> Don't agree with him. Ugh. All right. But still. The, and I don't think they had a thing going on, but I was getting a little bit of a vibe that Dr. Lind had become something of a father figure for Gia, if only to serve the story of this film. Am I crazy, or were you getting the same vibe? So, I think there was some
1: sort of understanding between them. Mm-hmm. Maybe not a father-daughter type of understanding, but maybe an understanding of we want at least some of the same things out of this. Mm-hmm. He did step up when apex basically betrayed the three of them,
0: yeah, and which I think all of us saw coming. <laughs> he definitely
1: stepped up, although I have to wonder how did he learn how to fly the heave, and how did he understand how to recharge it to do that blast for Kong? Ah,
0: uh, that was a little <laughs> I didn't think about that actually, because he, he didn't would've... have to fly it very far, though, no, but still, I
1: mean he flew it like he had flown it before, but yet they gave no sense that he had even been in one before.
0: Yeah. Cause apex had invented the dang thing. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I've heard that there were some things that got cut out of this movie and I do think it could have stood to be maybe five or 10 minutes longer. We'll get into that yeah. a little bit later. Yep. Yeah. Since we're on the subject, let's talk about little Gia, the lady of the hour here yes. on the Island. Oh, she is wonderful. That little girl. She is wonderful. She, in the movie, she's played by Kaylee Hoddle, who is actually deaf and comes from an all-deaf family. And this is her first wow. movie. Wow. Yeah. For what I read on IMDb, she had done some work in commercials, I think, before this, but this is her first movie. Wow. And Alexander Skarsgård, who played Dr. Lind, actually learned sign language to talk with her on set. Mm-hmm. And what I love about this is that it is using that tried and true Kong trope of him connecting with a woman. Yes. And they're even going with the route of, as has been done with a lot of the newer Kong films, where the object of his affection, we'll call her that, actually sympathizes with him, unlike the original Andero, who spends the whole movie screaming. I'm sure her grandkid has to hear about that all the time. Yeah, <laughs> wow, screamed
1: must be annoying.
0: Oh, I'm sure it is. But all of that to say, this one was interesting. And I don't know if you're familiar with this, but Eric, did you know that there was an unmade sequel to the original 1962 King Kong versus Godzilla? I've heard some echoes about it. Okay, it was called Continuation King Kong versus Godzilla, because you have to understand, that was a massive hit, and to this day, it is the most attended and adjusted for inflation, highest grossing Godzilla film of all time. Yeah. It sold 12 million tickets in Japan when it was released. That's a lot of tickets. Yes, it is. <laughs> Are you going to go count them to make sure it was 12 million? No. What do you think this is, an American election? There's no recounts. (laughs) There are no recounts around here. But all of that to say, they did try to make a sequel. It only got as far as a story treatment. And I won't go into all of it. I have a little episode about it with John LeMay, episode three. But one of the story elements in this, and I really wondered if somebody learned about this when they were working on the movie. In that, it would have started with Kong in Africa, and then a Japanese airliner crashes there. And then the only survivor is a little Japanese child, and Kong befriends the child. And then when the child is rescued, he follows the child back to Japan.
1: And that definitely seems to be echoed in this, because both are instances of Kong connecting with the young female child in a bad situation. So they had to have learned about that. It'd be a really ginormous coincidence if they had not.
0: Yeah. And this is certainly not a, I guess for lack of a better way to put it, this is not a romantic thing. It's not even like in Kong 05, where it's a friendship. Right. It's, I wouldn't even necessarily say it's like a father daughter thing, but Kong definitely is very protective. Of yes, her. protective. Kind of like she's his ward. Almost. Or maybe like a giant big brother, I guess. Yeah. Maybe. I'm not Maybe. quite sure how to describe it, other than it's a very protective sort of relationship. Yes. Especially since Kong had made himself the protector of the Iwi, and now she's, as far as we know, because of one throwaway line in this movie, she's the only one left. Mm-hmm. Which is a little disappointing, but we'll it roll is-
1: with that. <laughs> it would have been more interesting, although they could cover this, if they do a sequel with Kong almost entirely focused on the Hollow Earth, If he were to come into some who somehow it ended up in the Hollow Earth.
0: Mm. Well, you did hear that it's been announced that there's going to be a Monsterverse Kong anime. Oh. It'll be on Netflix. All we really know about it, other than it's Kong and Monsterverse, is that it's a prequel. Maybe the prequel will be about what happened when the storm moved in. Maybe. That would be an interesting story to see. But I guess now that I think about it, Kong and her would have a kinship because Kong is the last of his kind and she is the last of her people now. Right. So maybe yes. there's that connection as well. But- and they could hang out with Kal-El <laughs> and, uh,
1: and John Jones.
0: <laughs> well, yeah. Superman's not quite the last son of Krypton anymore, but uh, okay.
1: <laughs> and John Jones isn't quite the last green martian anymore either yeah
0: it depends on the continuity because dc loves their reboots but (laughs) but one of the things i liked that was really cool in the film is how they communicated without saying it they never come out and say that she's deaf it's Mm -hmm. all communicated visually or auditorily so when we're introduced to her at the beginning of the movie the sound deadens so, it's like you're hearing the world. They let through you hear her. through her ears. Yeah, which is a weird way to put it if you stop and think about it. Or not hear through her. Yeah. Then the only time you actually have sound with her is when she's feeling vibrations. Yes. So, you know, she can feel Kong's heartbeat. She can put her hand on the wall of the ship and she can feel the rumble of Godzilla's roar outside right. in the water. It's little things like that that it puts you. And it allows the audience to see what the world is like for her. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really cool. And then she signs everything. It's all shown. It's not told. And that is a great writer's mantra that really should be practiced a lot more. You know, especially when it's a visual medium like film. Since we're on the subject of Geo, how do you feel about the characters in this, the human characters in this film? Because I've heard complaints about it. The, all of the Monsterverse films get complaints about the human characters. So, for you, how were they?
1: First, let's talk about our other podcast buddy who has all the conspiracy concerns.
0: Oh, uh, Bernie! <laughs> Bernie, Bernie. I hope Um, he calls all of his listeners Bernie bros. I'm just saying, just saying that's as political as I'm getting on this podcast. But seriously, (laughs) I have heard that Alex from Monsters vs. Men has been calling himself a Bernie bro because he loves this guy. So he has a couple different layers, but they aren't
1: told in big things. There's a moment where he shares about losing his wife. In another moment, we see him reading what must have been a scrapbook that she had put together. Mm-hmm. You know, we obviously hear him talking about conspiracy, and, but we know that he's not just someone who's concerned about conspiracy. He's someone who goes in to investigate and will get a job and work deep cover. <laughs>
0: Uh, And the the whiskey bottle and the gun holster He's like, I'm saving this. Uh, I'm not drinking it until I know there's no more hope. (laughs) So Apparently, he's decided that if there's no more hope, he's going to die. And he apparently wants to meet death drunk. I mean, he even jokes about it later when Josh pours it out to short out the circuits for Mechagodzilla. And he says, what? I'm going to die with you and sober? (laughs) Okay. yes this is true (laughs) so he had little moments of
1: character growth but they weren't big moments and they weren't the big thing of the movie
0: yeah i will tell you a couple of years ago if i had seen this movie i wouldn't have had the kinship with him that i had immediately because i'm a podcaster (laughs) and he's a podcaster like oh my gosh here's a kaiju film where one of the characters is a podcaster (laughs) so
1: i felt like bernie did show some different layers i don't think he necessarily grew but he wasn't the main focus
0: no and this is going to be saved for a later part of the discussion but i would make the argument and my most recent guest ryan the omni viewer collins has made this proclamation i guess you could say that godzilla and kong are the main characters in this movie right. and all the humans yep. are the supporting cast and you yes. have to go into it like you do with Many kaiju films, you have to go into it not seeing the monsters as special effects, but seeing them as actual characters. And that goes all the way back to King Kong 33. That was the first time that you had a special effect that was a character. Right. So you're a big fan of Bernie, I take it? I liked
1: him, and I liked how he was willing to work with the kids. Mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: He didn't say, well, you're kids, and I'm just going to, you know, He he said, well, you're willing to work
0: with me. Yeah, because that was Team Godzilla. Their whole thing was they're trying to unravel the mystery of why Godzilla is going ballistic. Yep. Yep. I was a
1: little upset with Madison's dad, who should have been the main Godzilla guy, for not really sticking with Godzilla and trying to...
0: He didn't do much. No, but I get the impression, and they didn't communicate this quite as clearly as I think they probably should have, but I get the impression that he's the director of Monarch now. Because he gets referred to as director at one point toward the end. It's possible, or at least a portion of Monarch. So in some way,
1: he's a big part of their operation.
0: Yeah, so he's just really busy at this point. Right. And doesn't want his daughter chasing crazy ideas just because she's sympathetic to Godzilla. Now, I have heard some people complain about Madison in this, saying that, they think that she's poorly written and I don't actually think so. I actually like her in this, but I've heard some people complain that they think, well, shouldn't she have trust issues after everything that happened with her mom in the previous movie and all of this stuff. And I didn't feel like what we saw of her in this didn't match up. It's certainly different. She is a different character compared to how she was in the previous film, but this still felt like the same character.
1: It was the same person. It's just, Instead of going in the direction of, I'm not going to trust anyone, she went in the direction of, I need to take care of myself, and I need to have my own initiative instead of being dependent on someone. Yeah. And that's the direction she went after her experience with her mom, and we even saw that in King of Monsters when she overheard her mom talking to, never remember his name, but terrorist guy. Alan Jonah. Yeah, about we can go and we can turn it on at the ball stadium and put a stop to this. And she overheard that and she said, "Okay, I'm going to be the one with the initiative and I'm going to go do it. Mm -hmm. So I think what she did here was very much in in her character. And I'm a little confused as to how they managed to go get around the base so long without being found because none of
0: them are really (laughs) skilled. Ninjas, they are not. But no, they're
1: not ninjas. Apparently,
0: Apex employs (laughs) out-of-work stormtroopers. Maybe (laughs) if
1: they hit in a shipment and Apex never checked the shipments before they were sent out.
0: No, they didn't. So I actually thought what was going on with this was good. She was also taking the initiative because she was the only person that she felt like, at least at first, was trying to think the best of Godzilla. And she ends up getting proven right. And yeah, Bernie's a crazy Alex Jones conspiracy theorist but he ends up being right and a lot of his theories at least related to the Titans are based in stuff that he is doing with his own investigations looking into right. Apex Now yes. I've also heard some people say that they thought that Bernie could have been combined with her friend Josh and I don't see how that would have worked because no. yeah no. Bernie and Josh are kind of comical characters but yep. Josh is supposed to be a voice of reason in yes, this. He's he trying is. to say, Madison, you're nuts. And Bernie, you're even nuttier. Yep. <laughs> so he's supposed to counterbalance Bernie in a way where he's trying to say, like, Bernie, you're crazy. And he's saying like, well, you drink tap water. <laughs> you're not crazy enough.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, And, you know, I appreciate that. Instead of giving us, hey, here, here's a teenage kid that works with computers, we're just going to assume that he can break into anything when it comes to computers. And he said, look, I'm used to just getting into school computers. I can't actually break into a
0: thing <laughs> All I do is pirate movies on the internet.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, they're willing to have a character who has some tech skills, but is really willing, willing to recognize, oh, I'm not a hacker Yeah, I'm just some guy who gets pirated stuff. Yeah. I'm not a hacker. Yeah. But he was also smart enough to realize, oh, liquided machines don't work.
0: Yeah. <laughs> that old trope. You get electronics wet and suddenly it shorts out everything. Mm-hmm. Okay. But it was nice foreshadowing they did with the bottle of whiskey and things like that. So that was Team Godzilla. Because what ends up happening is you kind of have three parallel plots going on, three groups of characters with coinciding but also conflicting goals. So you have Madison, Josh, and Bernie as Team Godzilla trying to unravel the mystery of why is Godzilla subtly going ballistic? Because he's never done this before. And then you had Team Kong, which includes Gia, and we've talked a bit about Dr. Andrews and Dr. Lind being Team Kong. The idea there is they're trying to get to the Hollow Earth because there's a special power source down there and they want to get their mitts on it. And they think that they can get Kong to do it for them because he will instinctively want to go back to the Hollow Earth because Dr. Lind has theorized that the Hollow Earth is where all the Titans came from. Right. Which is fantastic world building. I love the world building in this, and you know, which I'll talk a little bit about a little bit later. But... I was not expecting in those first few minutes to find out that apparently Kong is in the Truman Show. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, that was, I that saw that cute. in one of the TV spots. I did not expect that we would just see that in the first two minutes of the movie where he just throws a giant tree spear at this dome, which is when we mm. find out that Monarch has moved on to Skull Island and they have an outpost there and they have the Kongtainment cute monarch but leave the puns to me so <laughs> dr andrews is observing kong and is saying like hey we have to keep him here because if godzilla knows he's around we can't have two alpha titans it was set up not so much in the king of the monsters movie but in the novelization where it just says oh yeah kong didn't listen to godora's call <laughs> He just ignored it (laughs) because he's King Kong. (laughs) And so we are getting all this set up and she's the adoptive mother for Gia Mm -hmm. and is always looking out for her in that regard and kind of becomes kind of like the go between between the four. But for Gia and the rest of the characters, while she is the one who can communicate with Kong. Right. Because we find yeah. out that Kong has learned a little bit of sign language, which is something that real gorillas have done. There's been some famous gorillas yep. who have learned sign yep. language, but it's never been seen really in a Kong movie before. We we had something a bit like it in Kong 05. I think it was also the same word, too, because he signed home, Yeah, if I remember correctly. <laughs> if I'm wrong, you'll correct me. Yes, Jimmy, I know. <laughs> he writes follow-up blogs to every episode and lets me know what I get wrong. Correct him, Jimmy. Go ahead and correct him. Yeah, don't encourage him. But anyway, so that could, I'll just add that to my list of Easter eggs because I made a list of Easter eggs for this movie and I'm sure I didn't catch them all like a Pokemon. But, (laughs) and then Dr. Lind is this guy who has theories about the Hollow Earth and then they, you know, he gets brought in to make it all happen, basically. He's the one who says, hey, we can have Kong do it for us and stuff like that. So they're Team Kong. So you have them doing their thing and then team Godzilla doing their thing. And then the idea is that Kong and Godzilla are naturally drawn together because it's a dominance thing and they have to prove which of them is the top dog on planet earth. And that's, what's bringing them together, which is different than what I was expecting because the trailer made it sound like they were going to get Kong to fight Godzilla because he's going right. ballistic. It's not yes. exactly like that, which Got to give credit to the trailers for misdirecting people like that. Although it would have been a little bit more like the 1962 film, except in that case, they were doing it for publicity and marquee value because the original movie is a satire of commercialism, which Uh, I will admit the crazy hype and hoopla in promoting this movie being ironic because that is exactly what the original movie was satirizing. That irony is not lost on me. Just throwing that out there. So
1: what I'm wondering is if the rivalry between Kong and Godzilla kind of started when Kong. I feel like Kong's people were pushed out of Hollow Earth. I mean, even when we found that throne room or whatever it was, there was very clear evidence that there had been a fight in there.
0: Yeah. So let's talk about the, yeah. You know, since you're bringing it up, let's talk about the world building here a little bit. Just like with King of the Monsters, they imply a lot, but they don't explain everything. And I actually like right. the fact that they don't explain everything to you. Because you don't necessarily have to explain everything. Just let stuff exist. And if you get an opportunity later to explain it in more detail, take that opportunity. But I was asking myself a lot of questions when we got to the Hollow Earth. I was like, what is this place? And to be honest, one of the things that I absolutely adore about this movie is that when we get to the point where they're going to the Hollow Earth, it goes Full tilt, old school, pulp sci-fi, Jules Verne and Edgar Rice Burroughs logic. Yes. And I adore it for doing that because that sort of pulp sci-fi tradition was definitely part of what influenced the creation of Kong. Trust me, I did the research (laughs) and the fact that we're now actually seeing wild stuff like that in a King Kong movie, because let's be honest, King Kong steals the show in this movie. (laughs) <laughs> i loved it there has not been a kong movie that's been this wild
2: no, and it didn't th-
0: and it didn't throw me off that this sort of pulp sci-fi was showing up in this i loved it so i mean we've got all these tunnels
1: and i'm sure that's how apex built their tunnel between florida and hong kong was using the tunnels that were already there
0: yes that which has already been established in the monsterverse
1: yes. But in King of Monsters, we had what may have been their idea of Atlantis. Yes. The or Cetopia basically house. <laughs> and then, you know, we've got Skull Island. And now we got to a very nice-sized Hollow Earth.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. And I'm going to have to try and get a memo to Colonel Carter about the fact that they seem to have gone through a Stargate.
0: <laughs> a, a very short-range Stargate to get <laughs> when they that had that uh, that little 2001 A Space Odyssey sequence <laughs> when they're talking about I mean, all the gravity shifting and all the, that weirdness the oh, shifting, then they go into what did
1: look like the, uh, oh, my mind's being dumb again well, all they
0: were missing when they got to Hollow Earth was a monolith, I'm just saying <laughs> yeah, but they went through the, an event horizon,
1: there was an actual event horizon, just like the wormhole created by Stargate and they went through the effect of you know things going overhead and whirling around them but through a tunnel and very quickly come out a long way away. So it was a short range Stargate that they traveled through.
0: That is a reasonable theory because the fact that they were able to travel that quickly was a little astonishing. But again, Vernian Borosian logic. And yes. I was totally cool with that. And the visuals of the Hollow Earth when they got there were spellbinding absolutely spellbinding yeah yeah it was it was so cool to see that and you know, with the floating mountains and the rocks that were like it was like an asteroid belt that were there and right. kong could figured out how to navigate these gravity wells and use you know to move around and well, it, it was it's a dangerous place obviously we don't have dinosaurs there like you would see in a jules verne novel but no we the, just have
1: flying cobras
0: yeah which are actually what you're actually called were- war bats War bats? War bats. War which bats. makes no sense to me because yeah, they look more like cobras to me than bats. Yes. They they look, they're flying cobras that wanted to encase
1: Kong and apparently he took his life. Well,
0: uh, I think something. they were trying to smother him, which I actually thought was a clever idea for a predator. Coil around him and then smother the prey with the hood. Yeah but oh, <laughs> that poor warbat learned to regret it. Oh, we're yes, we were talking about mortal combat fatalities with poor Mechagodzilla. We got it first with this warbat. bat. God, yes. he, he ripped the thing's head off. And I heard someone joke uh, when we came out of the theater, someone was saying, it's like uh, that, <laughs> that infamous performance that Oz, uh, Ozzy Osbourne did on stage where he bit off the head of a bat.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, Kong did eat some of the internals of it, Yeah, which was a bit gross. But there's a member of the Green Lantern Corps that comes from a race. And this is very, very odd and strange, but he comes from a race where if you defeat an honorable foe, you eat them.
0: I guess the idea is that you are absorbing their strength or something like that when you consume them.
1: Yeah, it, but only if they're honorable in that race. Now, this, I mean, obviously Kong needed a snack because he'd been traveling.
0: <laughs> yes. So, I
1: mean, and Kong as we just, have
0: seen... I've been traveling, so I need a snack. And as we have seen, this Kong is a bit of a carnivore. We've seen him eat an octopus before. Yes. And yeah. we saw him eat a war bat. And earlier, when he was on his little trip, we saw him eating a, a whole fish. bunch of fish. And I leaned over to you when we got to that scene, and and I said... That's a lot of fish. And I feel no shame.
1: (laughs) You know, you didn't feel any shame at all. (laughs) Nope.
0: Nope.
1: Zilla's here on
0: the island. People still kind of like him.
1: As I kind of whispered back to you, at least it was fresh fish. (laughs) You know, he won't accept that frozen...
0: Oh, yeah, you none you of that frozen stuff. Sticks. Yeah, You won't
1: eat your fish sticks or your fist frozen fish fillets. It's got nope. yep. to be fresh.
0: Yep, got to be fresh, got to be fresh. Indeed, indeed. <laughs> so the Hollow Earth was fantastic, and I'm kind of wondering. I think there's some strong implications that the Hollow Earth may have actually been ruled by Kongs, You're and by they the, had some sort of civilization. Sec- I mean, otherwise, why would there be a giant axe? Well, not just the axe. There was
1: essentially a throne, and there were columns in the throne room that had a sense, not just of architectural design, but a sense that there was energy purposely transferring through the columns, because you could see the blue lighted energy Mm -hmm. in the middle of them. That shows a lot of ingenuity, Mm -hmm. and it shows some very high intelligence.
0: Yes, so either it was made by the civilization for the Kongs, or maybe... Maybe this is pure fan theory on my part. Maybe the Kongs actually used to be intelligent enough to have their own civilization.
1: Well, and I was almost looking like I wonder if for the Kongs that the Earth was originally like their spaceship.
0: Maybe that would be a little insane, but maybe. Yeah,
1: it's an insane, weird idea.
0: Yeah. But you know what? that's a part that I kind of hope they never truly explain, because I would rather have the ambiguity of it to kind of, to keep theorizing the about it, the mystery. Cause I think if you, if you explain that it takes a little bit away, but yeah. I will tell you when we got to that part when you have Kong holding the ax and he sits in that throne room, you know, what came to my mind King Kong, the barbarian Kong, what is best in life? To crush your enemies and see them to live in before you and to hear the lamentations of the lizards. <laughs> yes, the lamentations of the lizards, but also
1: to eat them. Yes. he apparently does sometimes eat his opponents.
0: Yes. Yes. <laughs>
1: so.
0: I'm just like, oh my gosh, Kong is the freaky Code and the Barbarian. Continuing the old school pulp magazine connections. Yes. Oh my gosh, because there's a very popular image of an old Conan who's now the king, and he's sitting on a throne with his hand on his chin, pondering something. And that was what came to my mind when I saw that, and it was glorious. Kong goes on a hero's journey, basically, in this. And that is one of the ways that he gets ingratiated to the audience. He goes on a quest. And he finds out more about his heritage. And he has to seek a new weapon in order to defeat this new foe that he has to deal with. Right. And it was so fantastic to see. Godzilla's story, by comparison, is actually very straightforward. And it's a very Godzilla story, but Kong goes on a journey. Kong goes on a journey,
1: and Godzilla is just angry about what Apex is doing and trying to deal with that.
0: Yeah, upsetting the order. He's apparently taking some, despite the fact that the board has made Gamera King of the Monsters, Godzilla's taking cues from Gamera in this because Gamera is much the same way. He is the protector of the earth, not necessarily humanity. So when there are things that are upsetting the natural order, he has to intervene and that may mean he has to cause collateral damage for the humans. And it's implied that if the humans are the ones upsetting the natural order, he will go after them. They were establishing that actually in the previous movie. And we see that come to fruition. So they did not heed the warnings.
1: No, they did not.
0: They didn't. And they ended up paying a price for it. And But yeah. Godzilla has to be top dog. And that's what brings him and Kong against each other because they both think they're top dog.
1: Well, then, and during the title sequence, as they're showing the credit sequence at the beginning of the movie, they show a little bit of Ghidorah and crossing that out like, OK, this is finished. And then they show some other things of Godzilla versus this, this is finished, Godzilla versus this, this is finished. And I didn't clearly see what all of them were. I didn't aside- quite catch it either. I wonder if yeah. the
0: implication is that he killed all the other Titans.
1: Or at least the ones that were against him and were in some way causing severe trouble.
0: Yeah. Now, I don't think Rodan or Mothra were on there, so they should theoretically still be around and be fine. Right. Well, Mothra is an egg, but... <laughs> yes. Somewhere. 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 But since we're on the subject of someone else trying to be top dog, that was the third set of characters I was going to bring up, which is our Apex right. characters. Yes. In this case, it's Walter Simmons, who's the CEO, and Ren Sarazawa. All right. I'm going to be honest with you, Eric, this is where I I start having some big gripes with the movie, because I feel like particularly Ren Sarazawa did not get the development that he deserved. He had no development. He basically had none. And I went into this knowing who he's supposed to be. But unfortunately, the movie does not make it clear why he's significant. You have to infer it because he has the same last name because he's Dr. Mm -hmm. Sarazawa's son. Which would lead me to believe, and I think I read this somewhere, that the whole reason that he's involved with Apex and builds Mechagodzilla is because he's upset that his father died in the previous movie, and he's trying to rectify it by making the robot. We get none of that in this movie.
1: (laughs) Yeah, they don't explain any of that. I mean, if your dad basically gave his own life to save a giant lizard. Yeah. There could be some mixed feelings about that. Yeah. Even if you understand the need for the giant lizard to destroy the alien three-headed dragon. Yes. There are some mixed feelings about something like that happening. Yes. And if you focus on the wrong set of those mixed feelings, you might end up working for the wrong people.
0: Yeah. But like I said, we got none of that. And that is a huge disservice. I get it. You can't necessarily make him a central focus, but I think the movie could benefit from being five or 10 minutes longer and giving him a little bit more time so that we can establish there's a reason why he's doing this. Again, it's consequences of the previous movie, and it gives him a little bit more motivation beyond, I work for Apex, and I want to make the robot. Wow. You know, and you know what I also think might have been a little bit of a missed opportunity? I wish he had an eye patch. (laughs) <laughs> like the original yes, Doctor Sarazawa from the 1954 movie. Like, come yes. on, just give him an eye patch. You don't have to tell me why he has an eye patch. Just give him an eye patch. <laughs> yeah.
1: Or maybe if they use him again in another movie, he will have an eye patch after what happened to him.
0: Uh, possibly because uh, we don't know if he's dead. And you know what? Actually, I was thinking. You remember my uh, novella "Destroyer" that I wrote with yes. Natasha Hayden and Timothy Deal yep. and then Nick Hayden? They has a- you. I feel like they did. Now mind you, I was emulating Godzilla against Mega Godzilla because uh, they, I felt like the whole Mecha Godzilla going berserk thing was a concept that they didn't utilize and it was rife with story and then I wrote a whole thing that took that idea. It was a it was an original kaiju, but took that idea and ran with it. But there's a scene in my book where they're using a helmet that telepathically broadcasts commands to a mecha. The mecha goes berserk. Shorts out the helmet and the, and the and a it's a Japanese and it's a Japanese American pilot and then he gets electrocuted and there's a kaiju brain involved. Yes, so many things. I'm like somebody got my book
1: and they read it. Now, for one I one day, one want it credit. I'm owed
0: royalties. Dang it. <laughs> yes, <laughs> just saying. But yeah, we could potentially see him come back in a future MonsterVerse movie. Although beyond that anime series I just mentioned to you, the MonsterVerse's future is uncertain. But the early rumblings that I'm seeing right now is that this movie is going to do very well, so I think it would behoove Toho, if they like money, to let it continue. I'm just saying. But as I was saying, he needed more. He really got yeah. the shaft in this. He, need he needed greater significance. That is probably the honestly for me personally the biggest misstep of this of the movie. He deserved better. He deserved more. And I've noted a few other issues with the script, but he deserved more. But let's talk about why everyone is coming here. The real stars of the movie. The main characters. We've already talked a bit about them here and there. But it's Godzilla and Kong. And I gotta say. Oh my gosh. The stories. I mean especially for Kong. Like I said Kong's going on a hero's journey. I like the fact that this is an older Kong. You know since Skull Island. The 50 years have passed. I love his beard. He even has a little bit of grey in it. It's kind of funny. <laughs> you know, He's bigger now. He's as big as Godzilla. And. Did that opening sequence not feel a little bit like Shrek or something? And he's coming out, and he's just doing his morning. It's like watching a guy do his morning routine. You know, he just crawls out of bed, he, he a takes shower. a shower, and yeah, and they're playing the song about how he's got a girl waiting for him, and it's supposed to be yeah. Gia. And you know, it endears you to Kong very quickly because he just seems like some regular dude. <laughs> You know, just doing his thing, hanging out on, on his island. But then you learn very quickly that you do not trifle with Kong. He can get angry. He does not like to be contained.
1: <laughs> no, he doesn't like to be contained, and he throws a tree into the containment and messes up a big part of it.
0: Yeah. That made me think of the Hunger Games a little bit with all the domes and things that are containing them.
1: <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> you
1: know? So, just a
0: bit. Yeah. And again, there's a lot of Kong traditions that we're seeing in this. Obviously, I mentioned before connecting with a woman, then being taken from his island and exploited, which I love the fact that they never explain how they got him on the dang boat. They're just like, we have the boat. We sedated him. We're moving on. You know, (laughs) it's it's like the 1933 film where they just say, we're going to build a raft to put him on the raft. And we got him to New York. And then it just skips to New York. And, you know, that's all you see. And you know what? Yeah, I don't need to know all the details. It's okay. <laughs> you know. I will just go along with it. <laughs> I mean, yeah. we've already escalated things pretty quickly with this. We've gone from the very grounded Godzilla 2014 to Jules Vernean journey to the center of the earth, ancient civilizations, all that.
1: <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I noticed they had a little bit of a callback to Kong versus Godzilla when they flew Kong.
0: Yes, uh, that's one of the many Easter eggs that I have. Yeah, uh, that yes. I have. I'll uh, I'll bring that list up a little bit later. But Kong is just astonishing in this. You sympathize with him very quickly. That's a very old tradition. Being able to you know sympathize even the original 1933 film where he's meant to be the antagonist, you still sympathize with him. When you get to the point where he's on top of the Empire State Building, he's getting shot, and then he falls to his death. So the fact that they're making Kong even more sympathetic in this, basically billing him as the hero. Yeah. And it makes total sense. He's, you know, because he's an ape, it's easier for us as humans to sympathize with him compared to a reptile like Godzilla
1: well i mean if someone was building a, a robotic version of me to fight me i think i'd be pretty upset so i can kind of see yeah definitely I, get, I can sympathize with godzilla a bit
0: yeah I, I can understand that robot doubles are not fun <laughs> no,
1: there wasn't as good a life model decoy as nick fury has no let's be honest it's certainly it wasn't not. as good of a lmd
0: no Godzilla's not the best LMD in this. Not not no. this Mecha Godzilla anyway. Although people theorized that he would do something like that, but obviously he didn't. <laughs> right. Uh but then there's a couple of other traditions related to Kong that they do this that are very indicative of his character. He breaks out of chains. Yep. That's something you see in basically every Kong movie, the idea being that he's being exploited, he's being enslaved, and he is breaking the chains of enslavement and saying, no. <laughs> you know? it's, uh, some people have read into that quite a bit. Trust me, I've read the essays, but we see it again here in this. In fact, what's kind of interesting is that Kong gets set free by the humans, and then he breaks the last chain and yeah. starts telling Godzilla, come at me, bro! <laughs> Look yes come at me bro i'm ready for you i love that scene where he's roaring at the water so it's like come at me bro then godzilla pops out of the water you see it in the trailer so it's like surprise mother trucker (laughs) that
1: was pretty amazing yeah he's
0: an alligator you know uh, not alligator crocodile he's like (laughs) because that first battle kong definitely is at the disadvantage because it's water
1: yeah kong does not do well in water and godzilla lives in the water obviously
0: and you know even going to the hollow earth that's another kind of kong tradition because most kong stories are about journeying into a heart of darkness that's why that book heart of darkness is in its own way very influential on kong the idea of journeying to this savage world and being confronted with that savagery and Mm -hmm. you you see that again here Normally it would be about going to Skull Island. In this case, it's Kong venturing into the heart of darkness. Right, it was hollow a good Earth. play.
1: Mm-hmm. It was a good play in their part to let Kong go on his own journey. Yes, because we hadn't seen it. They took us back to Antarctica, which I feel like whenever there's humans and kaiju and Antarctica combined, it is never good for Godzilla, and he's always angry about it.
0: Yeah. And actually, that's another one of the Easter eggs I've listed there. It goes back to King Kong Escapes, except in that one, they went to the Arctic. They went north, not south. Uh, But it was still the same thing. Yes, (laughs) That's where Kong was enslaved by Doctor Who. (laughs) Not the British man in the blue box, but (laughs) a different Doctor Who. Hmm. To uh, dig for element X, you know, (laughs) but. (laughs) And so a similar thing happens there again, you know, trying to find a power source. Going to one of the poles, trying to find a power source.
1: Because we need unlimited energy, apparently.
0: (laughs) Unlimited power, you know. Yes. Yes. And then Godzilla in this. This is the first time we've had a truly destructive Godzilla in the monster verse, which threw a lot of people off. And I think. Rightfully so. And that was the whole idea. Why is Godzilla doing this? Now, yeah. if you're a longtime Godzilla fan, this is not much of a surprise, but this is the first time we've really seen it in the MonsterVerse. So Godzilla, in a way, is a little bit, I would say, probably closer to an antihero in this because Apex is not doing things that are good. They're basically going after their own power, and who knows what they would have done with Mecha. It's kind of like, I don't know if you've seen the Godzilla anime trilogy, but there is a line in there, because a form of Mecha Godzilla, I'll say, <laughs> is in that. And there is a line in there about how after Mecha Godzilla would have killed Godzilla, who knows who he would have turned his fangs on. So I think you could right. infer that even after Apex killed Godzilla with Mecha Godzilla, what would they have used Mecha Godzilla for after that? Who knows to
1: take over and, and let people know, Hey, we're in charge and you're not.
0: Yeah. I mean, there is that implication potentially. Yes. We don't know, but you get a little bit of that impression because it's just me or does, or does the guy in charge of apex remind you a lot of Maxwell Lord and wonder woman, 1984. i was getting a little bit of Maxwell Lord vibes from him, just a tiny bit.
1: Yes. A little bit of wanting to be the person in control And wanting everyone to love him. Which is, in a way, the difference. Because Max Lord did, to some degree, want to do good. And he did kind of want people to love him. He wanted to be famous.
0: Yes. In this one, it's, I want humanity to be back on top.
1: Right. And it's more... I think there was a sense of more selfishness in this one, even than in Max Lord. Because this guy, just he wanted to control things and he was far less caring toward other people than even Maxwell Lord is in that yeah I would
0: say. so like I said destructive Godzilla hadn't seen that in a while so their motivations are very clear it's not contrived it makes sense within this universe it does and goodness gracious my friend the fights that they have in this they are brutal. <laughs> they are brutal. Uh, we all friends. I mean, we knew about the battle on the boats, which that was right. such a great set piece, especially when it's that you know, you have this aquatic lizard going after the gorilla that does not like water so he's doing things like jumping from boat to boat then they get on an aircraft carrier which good grief that was for whatever reason weirdly controversial on the internet because people are like who could you go down to an aircraft carrier it's not big enough and then people are like actually there are aircraft carriers that big they're called the nimitz class there's only six of them right. but yep. they exist also why can't monarch just build their own dang aircraft carrier that's bigger why not they had a Flying aircraft carrier practically, King of the Monsters. So they did, yes. Yo, know, so get over it. Yep. <laughs> you know, and my reaction to it when I saw this, like, oh, they're gonna fight on top of an aircraft carrier. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Like with that fight, I could feel for the guy who
1: was about to take off in his plane, and King Kong just reaches down, grabs his plane. It just it.
0: Thankfully, like, the guy ejected. It, it would have actually kind of maybe go against Kong a little bit if he if that poor guy ended up getting killed. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. but man, and then we get those money shots that got milked so hard for the trailers. <laughs> Kong yeah. throwing his big old haymaker uh, like he's Donkey Kong and Smash Brothers punching King K. Rule, you know? <laughs> and then Godzilla's like, really. Really? And then he just slaps him. (laughs) Godzilla, master of the kaiju pimp slap. (laughs) We also
1: saw in this that Godzilla has furthered his use of his tail. Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> And his tail was even more masterfully used in this yes. than in past movies.
0: Yes, because that was the first round on those boats, which more or less ended up going to Kong, despite the fact that he got dragged under the water, and he did manage to score a couple of underwater drop kicks. but he had to be saved by the humans with their depth charges, and he barely yeah, I, got I out of the that water. I would say that that first
1: round went to Godzilla, yeah.
0: See, and uh, that's the, set- the thing. I knew that the whole thing about who won this thing would be debated. So the first round goes yeah. to Godzilla. The second yeah. round, when we have the first fight in Hong Kong, which, by the way, what? Godzilla yeah. is the most long winded monster ever. He's probably you know, got the biggest lungs in existence because he fired an atomic ray all the way down to the hollow earth in one yes. continuous blast, apparently. I'm just like, how much air is in those lungs? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. He's a big guy. He's got big lungs. Apparently. So he and you know, and then they use that tunnel to fly back up, which means there's now a giant hole, a very, very in deep Hong hole Kong. in Hong Kong. But OK. I'll go <laughs> so, see it someday. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Vernian logic. And then they get back up there and they call it out. They say the second round goes to Kong. Yes. Because he's very, flying um, around and okay. he has that axe. That great equalizer, and he's swinging it at him. He throws it at him, I'm like holy crap! He's throwing the axe, and it's absolutely just bonkers. When we first saw the axe in the tailor, and you know, you you had seen
1: the things from the action figures with the axe, but I had somehow missed that. But I can't tell if it was an axe or if it was a warhammer.
0: And oh. <laughs> as
1: some as. With my callbacks, you know, remembering that in King Kong vs. Godzilla in the sixties, Kong liked electricity. It made him stronger. Mm -hmm. And so when I saw that in the trailer and I couldn't tell if it was an actual Warhammer, I'm thinking, are they trying to say that Kong is Thor?
0: (laughs) I did see them. uh, I saw those memes. Were the Amionier? I saw those memes. So that's not too far off. And then that one ends with the shot from the trailer where Kong flies Bye. down and bashes that thing over. Godzilla head. I'm surprised it didn't get embedded in his skull. But right. that knocked them both over, but Godzilla took the harder fall
2: Yes, he at did that, that
0: point. Yeah. And then we had round three, just a few minutes after that, that started with this. I don't know if you ever played War of the Monsters on the PS2, but one of the things you could do is you could use one of the monster characters to grab radio towers, and then you could throw them at the other monsters. <laughs> And he had one of those, and he did that, and then he jumped down, and uh, you'll appreciate this, Luke Giaconetti of Earth Destruction Directive. He jumps down there and basically did a running bulldog, like a pro wrestler, <laughs> Godzilla in the headlock, and ran, ran him into the building.
1: <laughs> yes, which for me reminded me of Monsterpocalypse oh, and Monster how you Apocalypse. Oh, Monster Apocalypse! Slam each other into buildings and knock buildings over onto each other. And also, there's a game called Terror in Mepo City. That used to be called Rampage, but apparently they didn't pay for the rights to call it Rampage. <laughs> and so they, they had some issues there. It's a skill-driven board game, so you are flicking and dropping the monsters and things like that. Yeah, And so you can take a car, put it on the monster's head, and flick it to show that the monster is throwing the car at the building. Oh, a- okay.
0: There is a new Godzilla board game that I need to get my mitts on from Funko, but... Yes, yes. I've heard about it. I have not played it yet. I have not played it yet either, but I have seen it on sale on occasion, which makes me a little yeah. bit happy. You know sometimes they have it on sale at the gift shop here on the island, so oh, okay yeah, I'll be putting you up at the the monsterland resort, you know after we're done here, so don't worry, you'll be taken care of five star room yes, <laughs> I take good care of my guests, good sir. <laughs> but Do I have and, next big view of things yes. But anyway, so then we have all of this, and then we get to one of the, I guess you would say one of the more debatable parts of these battles, and you definitely get this sense that at this point, Godzilla is just fed up. (laughs) <laughs> yeah he is because he, he knocks he kong over i mean he's already tried to stomp on it because godzilla got them uh you know those birth hips he's got big old thighs and he's trying to stomp kong and he's you know and we all know that that's not gonna feel good so, yeah. but he does manage to knock kong over finally
1: and, and he scratches
0: he, him multiple times scra- yeah like scratches he him car. and then he puts his big old elephant foot Right on Kong's chest to basically says like I have you down. Then, but you can tell he's just frustrated. He is just so frustrated. He's like, "You know what? I took out a three-headed golden space dragon, and you, you big monkey, you're giving me more trouble than all of them." And he just gets angry and he just roars at him like not so much well, I, it was just, I felt like it wasn't so much a roar of I'm the dominant one. It's more like I am frustrated. Just stay down." And then Kong is just like he hesitates for a second and then Kong's like, "No, I will not." <laughs> you know. <laughs> Yeah, and then you have they, they, that, tra- have- and then you have the trailer shot where they're eye to eye and they're screaming at each other.
1: <laughs> yes, yes, they and the way they scream at each other is just amazing. Like they just go full bore right in each other's faces.
0: Yeah, and then what ends up happening? Some might give this round to Godzilla, and I can understand that. But the thing is, that happens, and then Godzilla just takes his foot off and he's like, "Okay, fine. I've already made it clear I could kill you right now." But you are not going to submit to me? Fine. I'm just going to leave. Yeah. There's I, no point. I would
1: say that Godzilla won. And then he said, I just am sick of dealing with you. And you're not worth killing.
0: Yeah. yeah this is just not worth it. You've shown me that you will not submit. I'm just done. And he just leaves. Yep. And, and then he, that's and he, when we have to have Kong get defibulated. <laughs> yes. <laughs> With the heave. <laughs> Once again, I don't know
1: how the guy knew how to set that up. We're going to do that. But. Yeah.
0: And then he turns his attention to Mechagodzilla because that's when Mechagodzilla gets woken up. We, yes. oh, well, that's when he goes berserk, is what I should say. And then he comes yeah, out. That, that whole fight in Hong Kong between
1: Kong and Godzilla, they were working to get Mechagodzilla online. Yes. And they were. Waiting for the upgrade to power him enough to do something. Yeah. And then
0: he goes berserk, and then yep. the Godzilla's like, oh, that thing I've been chasing because Apex wants to be top dog. Oh, I now I have to deal with it. And then I'll just call him Mecha Kevin.
3: <laughs> and then Mecha Kevin
0: comes out and he's like, Oh, you <laughs> and then they pick a fight with him, and oh my gosh, that's savage too, but good grief. Oh my gosh, Mechagodzilla is just oding him. I mean, I I'm telling you, we sat with all of my friends here on the island, and I think Jimmy might have lost it a little bit because he's got to think for robots, and he's just like, "I want those toys," and I had to remind him. Yeah, yeah, calm down, man. Okay, sometimes I think you would date a robot, but <laughs> Mechagodzilla is just throwing out all these Pacific Rim Jaeger things at poor Godzilla, and he's just trashing him, and then king kong gets revived and then we get what i guess you could say is kind of the mandatory uh, tearjerker moment in a monsterverse movie yes (laughs) where little gia is signing to him and saying like godzilla is not your enemy godzilla is a friend that is the point. referencing mechagodzilla that is your enemy and then know Kong, who your enemy is. Yes. And then Kong gets up and like any action hero, you know, I mean it already had like his diehard moment when Godzilla fired the ray up at the aircraft carrier and Kong had to jump off. You know? yes. It was John McClane right there. Which director Adam Wingar said he did throw in 80s action movie references into this movie. <laughs> that was mm-hmm. one of them. And then you Puts his shoulder back in socket by slamming it against a building, and then yeah. you, you have that other trailer shot where he's all like, "Okay, robot," <laughs> and I'm then come, and then comes the moment where all of us in the kaiju community are just nerding out because it's King Kong fighting Mechagodzilla, and it's glorious. And I would argue that that one you have to give to Kong. Yes, he got a little bit of help from Godzilla, but Kong basically saved Godzilla's life at that point. Mm -hmm. Godzilla would be dead if Kong hadn't intervened. Kong is the one who kills Mechagodzilla.
1: Yes. And he does a very good job with it. He does
0: a very thorough job. And then when we get to the end and you think there's going to be another battle, and this is so fascinating to me because I wasn't sure how this was going to play out. And I don't really look at this as a fight because nothing really happens. So my take was that they were looking at each other
1: and they were coming to kind of an understanding of we may not like each other but clearly we don't have to be enemies.
0: Yeah. There was a level of respect there and I love the fact that Kong just signifies that by dropping the axe.
1: Yep. He says okay, I'll yeah. drop it.
0: Yeah, exactly, Jimmy, uh, that he was thinking of return of the Jedi, I, I will not fight you. Mm, yes. <laughs> you <know? laughs> And Godzilla got the point. He's like, yeah, all right. This is good enough. This is good enough. I'm done. Yeah. And I got, at the very end of the movie, I had kind of the feeling
1: that they kind of made somewhat of a deal unspoken because Kong seems to have gone back down to the Hollow Earth.
0: Yes. That's how it ends. I feel like
1: they came to an understanding that Kong rules Hollow Earth and Godzilla is the top man on the top
0: side. Yeah. So they've got their turfs. And they they know not to mess with each other's turfs. Right. So honestly, it's not quite like the 1962 movie. No. In terms of arguing over who won or not, I would honestly say that they each got two rounds. Yep. And they both earned those two rounds, for sure. Because they both won two rounds. They both let each other live when they could have killed one another. Yeah. Kong could have just let Mechagodzilla kill Godzilla,
1: but he didn't. And he also could have helped Mechagodzilla for some odd reason. Well, you Gia know.
0: told him not to.
1: Gia did, yeah. But he could have said, well, I don't care who's the real enemy. I just want to get rid of Godzilla. Yeah. And then tried to deal with Mechagodzilla himself. But instead, Godzilla realized that the axe was needed, powered the axe, mm-hmm. and... It kind of took both of them together to deal with Godzilla, And again, I think Godzilla kind of wondered, you're enjoying this
0: a little too much.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Was it worth the wait? Yes, but I still wish it would not have been quite as long of a wait.
0: Obviously. Yes. But I do think it was worth it. So I just have a couple more little details. I'll bring up here in my notes and then we'll move on to the next segment because uh, I'm already concerned that this may turn into my longest broadcast ever. (laughs) but I love that the final fights in a city and not in the countryside or on a mountain, like in the original movie Mm -hmm. made for a lot of really interesting set pieces. It did.
1: I will say they never quite addressed the issue of how many people were being killed and how many homes were being destroyed. You
0: know, that's the interesting thing. I was going to bring that up because they don't completely ignore the collateral damage and the potential casualties, but they also don't make it a huge focus either. So it's not you know something like like a Pacific Rim where they flat out say or at least imply that those buildings are empty and nobody ha- you don't have to worry about people dying. Because we do see people in the streets who are probably getting hurt, but they yeah. don't make it a huge focus. Because I did a few times sit there and ask myself, is this destruction porn? Because that is a thing that I've heard people talk about. Not necessarily with this movie, but they ask the question, is this destruction porn? Mm -hmm. Now, I would say Godzilla 2014 is not destruction porn. I I wouldn't even say that King of the Monsters was destruction porn. Shin Godzilla is not destruction porn. This one, I can see how some people might say it is. Right. But I'm leaning towards saying it's not. Just like Pacific Rim is not destruction porn. And that Pacific Rim had a very similar sequence in this. It was also set in Hong Kong. So I've been to Hong
1: Kong a few times. I'm a little bit mad that Apex... From what I could tell, if I was looking at the right mountain, they destroyed a mall with a very amazing view. That you could go up to the roof and see an amazing view of the city. It was on top of the mountain, overlooking the city. They seem to have destroyed it to put their facility there and take over their whole mountain.
0: Which is very unfortunate. Yes. So, yeah, But just like there's all that neon, that was a great visual. It was also in Pacific Rim as well, all the neon. But there's a lot of yeah. neon actually in this well, movie because the Apex facility has a lot of neon-looking stuff and it almost made right. it look like something out of Tron Legacy. It's kind of wild.
1: So I can tell you, Hong Kong, every night when the weather's good, they have a light show at 8 o'clock their time right on the harbor there. And on both sides of the harbor... You can see the lights on the other side and see the lights moving and shaking. And it's a really a fun thing to see. Mm-hmm. So when they first showed us Godzilla arriving in Hong Kong and there was all this light stuff, that's actually a normal, real thing they do in Hong Kong is the lights going awesome and having a light show at eight o'clock at night when mm-hmm. it's dark.
0: Mm-hmm. So I'm, gl- I'm glad I had you on to explain that. And one of the things that I think actually worked better in this compared to the King of the Monsters is the humor landed more consistently because some of the jokes in King of the Monsters don't quite land. The ones that do are actually pretty good. One of the lines I thought actually might have been one of the funniest ones I already mentioned, it was like, I have to die with you and sober. Another one I liked actually came from uh, Director Simmons, the CEO of Apex, where he says, I love crazy ideas. They make me rich. (laughs) Yes. I'm like, spoken like a true entrepreneur. I like crazy ideas. They make me rich. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, but my favorite one <laughs> my favorite one is how Dr. Lynn doesn't know what the sign for coward is.
1: <laughs> that was amazing. And, and I love when he goes to call Gia Brave using the sign for coward. And, and she, she looks just at- has
0: this knowing look on her face. And she kind of looks at her mom like... <laughs> And she That's just plays along. She, she just plays along. Yep. I <laughs> got a good laugh out of the crowd tonight. <laughs> and deservedly so. Uh, that was a, that but was a good moment. I've heard some people after we finished say that this is like a Jun Fukuda movie, a Jun Fukuda directed five of the classic Godzilla movies. Mm-hmm. He did Ebera or Godzilla versus Sea Monster. Son of Godzilla, Gigan, Megalon, and the original Mechagodzilla. He had a lot of young actors in his movies. There was a lot of energy to his movies because he was used to doing action movies and comedies, particularly with young actors. So I do think this movie is closer to one of his, whereas King of the Monsters was more like an Ashura Honda movie. But this Mm -hmm. one also reminded me a lot of a Millennium series Godzilla film. So 2000 through Final Wars. It's got the energy of Final Wars because this moves along at a very brisk pace. It's got the crazy tech that you would see in Megaguirus or the Kiryu movies. And it's got the kid and family dynamics that you would see in Godzilla 2000. Yeah. And it makes sense that if King of the Monsters was a big budget Showa movie that this would be the big-budget Millennium Series movie because the Millennium Series was basically a spiritual successor to the Showa movies. Right. Let's talk about the special effects really quick. I mean, we've kind of hinted at a lot of stuff with all the crazy visuals. For what I understand, and I think this, again, another misstep, I think, in the movie, this was not done with mocap, which... I think, takes away from it a little bit. This has a bit of the same problem that I have with the special effects in Pacific Rim Uprising, where there isn't nearly the weight that there needs to be. Godzilla and Kong move pretty agilely for creatures their size, and they don't quite have the weight that they should. Now, it's still better than Pacific Rim Uprising because the hits still have impact for the audience. You can still feel it, but they do move... (laughs) more quickly than you know i think anything that big should be able to move compared to the previous movies where there was definite weight to their movements
1: i was pretty happy with the special effects i liked the tunnel effects the way they used lighting for certain telling effects when when they went through the stargate the way they used lighting there the way they used lighting when team godzilla was hiding in the unit going from Florida to Hong Kong. That was very good. Mm -hmm. And the coloration of Godzilla's blast versus Mechagodzilla's blast, how initially Mechagodzilla had a very red blast and Godzilla had a blue. Yeah. I like that differentiation. Red versus
0: blue, man.
1: Hey, yeah, just like, not just Halo, but also G.I. Joe. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) that is very true. Red versus blue is a far longer thing than some people realize. <laughs> yes,
0: yes. <laughs> I'll close out this segment because I, I mean, I have pages and pages of notes that we could go over, but uh, right. I'll end with this. We were talking about some of the Easter eggs. I'll just kind of run through them really quick. And if you think of any that I didn't mention, feel free to throw them in here. The first one, obviously, you know, you have Denim University, going back to Carl Denham in the original film. Oh, we should have talked about this, man, when we could talk about the battles, but the bone club down the throat? <laughs> like the tree yes. from yes. the original yes. King Kong versus Godzilla. Oh, yes. that right delighted the audience so much tonight. They got such a huge kick out of it. That was amazing. Yes, it was. Yeah. Kong just likes putting things
1: down his throat. I don't know why. I think yeah, that's it's... one of the reasons why Godzilla was so angry at him.
0: Oh, I I can understand it. You know, it's like the meme where they get that clip from the original movie and it says, eat your vegetables. <laughs> yes yeah and then obviously using i mentioned it using kong to get energy like in king kong escapes where he's sitting on the boat is similar to a scene in king kong 76 the 76 remake where he's in the cargo hold of a freighter yeah the the characters go to level 33 and the original king kong came out in 1933 True. Uh, yeah. Mentioned about Mechagodzilla having shades of Mechagodora and Kiryu. You mentioned Kong being airlifted, like in King Kong versus Godzilla. Yep. Uh, going to Antarctica instead of the Arctic, like in King Kong Escapes. Did you notice that part of Mechagodzilla's brain looked like a zillion saucer? Hmm. From Monster Zero? I did not. It was not. a little hard to see. I only know it because I saw some set photos in an article okay. and I noticed that. And then this is not the first time Godzilla has gone to Hong Kong. He's been there before. He went there in Godzilla versus destroyer. Yeah. And then obviously the defibrillator. It's like Kong getting strength from electricity, like in King Kong versus Godzilla. And finally, and you were already hinting at it. We have a beam battle, like in all of the Heisei Godzilla movies. But there is Mm -hmm. one that Godzilla and Mecha Godzilla have in Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla 2. Or they have a beam battle, although in that one the beams just hit each other for a few seconds and then they explode. In this one, Mechagodzilla yeah. wins. <laughs> so, did you notice any others? I
1: think if I did, I forgot about. So I wasn't looking for them as I was watching. I was just enjoying what I spotted. So
0: I totally get that, man. Totally yeah. get it. All right. Yes, Jimmy. I'm well aware this might be our longest episode ever. We'll move on to the next segment, then the Toku topic. I've gotten a lot of comments on how great MIFV sounds, and that's all thanks to Sweetwater Sound. Whether you're a podcaster, musician, or singer, Sweetwater has the gear that will make your inner audiophile squee with delight. They have the best selection from all the best brands. More importantly, their customer service is light years beyond, well, everyone else's. They offer fast and free shipping in the continental U.S., free tech support, free 2 two-year warranties, and 48-month payment plans. Whatever your audio needs, Sweetwater is your one-stop shop. Visit their website, Sweetwater.com, to learn more and find your next favorite audio gear. All right. As I mentioned, the toku topic for today's episode actually is related to the movie, but not to the movie itself, the content of the movie itself, I should say. Then that is the debate about movie theaters versus streaming services because one of the reasons that this film was delayed as often as it was was because of the COVID-19 pandemic, which I will tell you has not been fun here on the island either. We did go into quarantine for a while. It was not pleasant. I was definitely questioning my Orwellian overlords, the board of directors, on several occasions about what the frick they were doing. But one of the things that happened is a lot of businesses were closed because of the pandemic because of lockdowns and or just people just not going out and doing anything and movie theaters were part of that and because of that this movie was delayed I think at least twice because of the pandemic. The first two times was because they were trying to keep it from having to deal with a lot of competition. Then it was moved from May, I believe it was, was it May or March of 2020? I can't quite remember now. I think one of those days, it was moved to November of 2020. Mm -hmm. Then it got postponed again to May 2021 because they wanted to have more theaters open. And then this whole thing was deepened further because... The powers that be. The powers that be, then decided that they were going to make this a simultaneous release specifically that it would be released in theaters and also on streaming services most prominently hbo max yes and then that started a whole hullabaloo because then legendary studios was trying to take legal action saying like how dare you do this and you know we're not going to make the money back and it became this whole to-do And so all of this stuff together started getting people questioning, what is this going to do for movies in the future? And so I did some reading and found some stuff out related to this, but I've explained a little bit about what life in quarantine has been like here on the island. What's it been like for you? Because you're from Michigan. Yes. So what's it been like for you? This was...
1: I saw Wonder Woman in the theater, which also had a simultaneous release.
0: Yeah, that was the first one, actually.
1: And I feel like there was a bigger crowd this time than there was for that.
0: Well, obviously, but this was the big premiere. Yeah. So
1: people are all in different situations. I have people say, well, streaming, it's better because we have so many people in our family. We don't want to pay for all of us to go to a theater. Mm -hmm. There's the reality that some people just like the theater experience. Mm Mm-hmm. Like me and like you and others, there is a very different enjoyment when you're coming out of a theater and you're not in your home atmosphere or in a fun atmosphere. Mm-hmm. There's also people in situations like me. We have seven people living in my house. And so if I watch a movie at home, it gets interrupted two or three times,
2: mm-hmm.
1: unless it's really late at night and I have to pause it two or three times. So in the theaters, has job. There's people who are working at the theater. Some of them are college students and high school students, but there's people working there. So I really, I want to keep theaters going. I like the experience. I think it's good for people to have a special experience to take their kids to And I think it's good for for those who live in big families where not everyone in the family really likes movies and you keep getting interrupted if you watch something at home. Mm
0: -hmm. That was actually one of the things that I came across. There were articles that were talking about the whole idea of the environment because there was one person who wrote an article that I read who was in favor of streaming services because it was a more controlled environment. When you go to a theater, she argued that a lot of stuff is outside of your control. This isn't always the case. It used to be you could pick your seat. Not every theater does that anymore. They have assigned seatings, but you still have to go in and pick your seat. You're just doing it before you walk into the auditorium. But beyond picking when you see it and where you sit and then what you get as concessions, she argued that everything else is beyond your control. You are at the mercy of when the movie starts screening and you can't stop it or anything. And she also argued that the worst part about seeing movies is the people because she and I'm guessing she must have just had a lot of really bad theater experiences because apparently she's just always around rude people who are checking their phones and making noise. And, you know, yeah, all I've only the, had a
1: couple of times like that.
0: Yeah, where, where stuff like that is happening for her. And she said that, you know, she really didn't like it. But it's not like she just didn't like people in general. Her article was actually a little bit pretentious, I thought, because she actually started by saying, like, I don't like people. And if you're honest with yourself, you don't like people either. Like, really? Really? Don't tell me what I think. Okay, you're already off to a bad start with this article. But she said that when you're at home and you're streaming something, you have control over it. You decide what you watch. You can pause it so you can go to the bathroom and go do something else. Or you could do something else while you're watching it. All of this stuff, and, you know, I understand where she's coming from, but to be honest, it came across as a little bit selfish to me, wanting control over everything, having the say-so in everything. Yeah. Meanwhile, I read another article that talked about how it's not as controlled an environment as you want to think it is. It can still be just as chaotic. You know, Mm -hmm. if you're, say, a mother with two or three kids and you're trying to sit down and watch a movie, the kids are going to be running around making noise. They're going to be interrupting you and you have to pause it and deal with them. And, all of this or so So there's still going to be other people unless you are living alone. There are always going to be other things that are going to try to distract you. I mean, I've heard plenty of stories about whether it was from a streaming service or they're popping in a Blu-ray in their Blu-ray player. I've heard plenty of stories about parents who get their kids put to bed and then they have a little time together watching a movie mm-hmm. because they're trying to eliminate the distractions. Yeah, And if you have a good theater and a good theater experience, you can go in there and hopefully everybody is being kind and adhering to the rules and not being distracting. It's kind of one
1: of those things of is everyone there for the movie or not? Because like in my house, not everyone is here for a movie when I watch a movie. Yeah. When I go to a theater, we're all there to see the movie.
0: Yeah. That's the other thing. That is also the difference is the people who are there at the theater who are paying to get in. They are there Mm -hmm. to see the movie. They are invested in one form or another. Now, they may get uninvested at some point while watching it, and there are people who get dragged to movies that they don't necessarily want to see, so they're not invested. Yes. So there's all this give and take. And then the other thing that you have to factor into that, you brought up some of it about it's supporting local businesses, it's supporting local jobs, and supporting local economies. Really, because it's not just the theaters that are making money off of this. That's why typically when you see theaters, they're surrounded by other businesses. There will be restaurants that pop up around the theaters because people will go see a movie and then they will go get dinner or ice cream or something afterward right? And, because they, they want to find a spot where they can go talk about the movie that they just watched. So there are other businesses that are adjacent. They're making money because people will go to other things. There are a lot of movie theaters that are at malls. So people will go do their shopping before or after. So there's all of these things. They're all interconnected. And I don't want it to see it go away because the thing that really makes the theater experience for me is that it's a communal thing. People it like the camaraderie. I mean, it's, that's why it yeah. rubbed me the wrong way reading this woman. And the funny thing was this woman was writing an article before the pandemic. It was 2019. And she was saying mm-hmm. all of this. And how she said, like, I don't like going to movies because I don't like people. Whereas I go to the movies because I like people. I want that communal experience. There's also the experience of there's a big
1: movie. Lots of people are coming. And you're waiting in line to go in. And you start talking with the other people waiting in line. And since you're there for the same thing, you have uh, sometimes have other things you can enjoy talking about together. Yeah, and, uh, and there's, you you there's... build up this experience of building relationships with people you would never have met because you're sitting in a line waiting to go into this big exciting movie. Mm-hmm. And you talk about the comics versus the movies, or you talk about the other movies you're excited for, or you talk about the convention you've both been to at some point.
0: Yeah, it builds community. And particularly when you're like me growing up in Indiana around small cities, going to the theater becomes this community building event. Yes. Especially since a lot of times smaller cities only have one movie theater. That's true. Yeah. And having those shared experiences together or being in the right crowd where people are really excited. Like I heard so many stories about people who saw early screenings of Avengers Endgame and people were cheering and they were getting wild. You know, when I went to the screenings at G-Fest, people were talking back to the movie and getting pumped and cheering. You've seen the movie a bunch already. You're going there for the experience of being in this giant theater with other fans. That's what makes it exciting. That's the sociological stuff. There's economic stuff. We've already talked about it a little bit, but you know what? Another thing that you have to take into consideration, there are people who are arguing that we need to save movie theaters because if we don't and movie theaters disappear, then big budget blockbusters like your Godzilla vs. Kongs, your Avengers Endgames, your, your Star Wars, those are all going to become unviable. They will not make back the money with streaming services because like you pointed out, you can have a family of four or more gather around a TV paying $15 a month to see whatever. Even if it's something like what Disney Plus was doing where they had premium access so you could watch, say, Raya and the Last Dragon, you pay $30. You're still losing money on that.
1: Yeah, because
0: if you have a family of six, that's five dollars a person when they would have probably been paying twice that much to go to a movie theater. So they're losing money. So their argument was they're going to start producing movies cheaper. So you won't get these big sprawling epics anymore. The blockbuster will, as we know it, will disappear. Even Disney has said
1: we're moving and changing our strategy to be more toward shows on Disney Plus than toward movies. Disney's already started making that movement.
0: Yeah, that's a little bit disappointing, honestly, because I know they just announced some things like Black Widow is going to get released on Disney Plus, And yeah it's, just, yeah, it's unfortunate, you know, the world that we live in at this point with stuff like this. There was also talk in the articles that I was looking at about how. On one hand, it kind of democratized movies in terms of distribution because the big blockbusters and the smaller artsier movies are all being released on a streaming service together. Whereas at a theater, the artsy movies would have gotten lost in the shuffle with all of the blockbusters. The problem is, since now all the movies are going to the same place, people are more likely to watch the blockbusters than they are those smaller art house films. So they'll still get lost in the shuffle. Whereas, because normally, from what I I read a lot, several articles have said this, the normal window now for theaters is they get to have exclusive rights to show the movies for about 90 days. And that has been getting shorter and shorter in COVID land, as I've been calling it. Then they just started just sending it straight to streaming or they do simultaneous releases. The first one that really got people talking about it was that Trolls sequel, Trolls World Tour. Yeah. And that really threw people for a loop because it actually kind of worked. And Universal was actually making more money throwing it onto a streaming service than it was actually releasing the movie to theaters. With some animated features, I could see that. Yeah. And especially when you're releasing it in, during a pandemic when parents are stuck at home with their kids all day yes. and they're just like, just throw it on there and the kids yep. will leave them alone for an hour and a half. So this article was arguing that using a streaming service for these smaller, more artsy films, that gave them more exposure because they would be on something like that, whereas the blockbusters would be dominating the theaters. So it allowed them to get out from under the shadow through a different distribution. But the problem is that you start throwing them all together, then they get lost in the shuffle again. Which I thought was a really interesting take on. So this article was arguing that a streaming service is better for movies like that, whereas a theater is better for blockbusters because they're going to make more money. And let's be honest, people are more likely to go to the theater to see a giant screen to see something that is going to be visually spellbinding, like yes. a Godzilla versus Kong or an Endgame, where there's crazy things happening on screen as opposed to some sort of like a comedy or a thoughtful drama where the visual aspect is not going to be enhanced quite as much in terms of the picture and the sound at a theater again you're going for the communal experience more at that point and yeah you know that's why a lot of movies like that tend to bank themselves on you know particular directors or particular actors who are in it in order to get butts in seats
1: I think that a big screen is better for some things than it is for others. Yeah. Even when you consider a 50 inch TV versus a 30 inch TV, Mm -hmm. watching a soap opera on a 50 inch TV, the people who like soap operas don't care about big TVs, but people who like sports or action movies or genre television tend to be more interested in big TVs. Mm -hmm. So it's, having that kind of separation has always been good. Mm -hmm. And I think giving people saying this is where this belongs and this is where this belongs can be a very good thing and can be a healthy thing. I mean, I want to keep having the exciting spectacle of going to the theater. I do too. And I think that it is better for spectacle movies than it is for the artsy things.
0: There was a time when the theater was the only avenue for all movies But now there are more options for it. And that's why, again, a streaming service might be better suited for other things like that. And we're starting to see there's been some moves with it. Netflix has started releasing more, you know, as Martin Scorsese would say, cinema He put out a movie called The Irishman onto Netflix because he realized that it wasn't going to do well in theaters, which he bemoaned. He was not a fan of that, but sure, he got over it because it still got nominated for a bunch of Oscars and everything else. So... (sighs) It's a difficult place to be. And I'm gonna be honest with you, I don't think Godzilla versus Kong. I know there are still gonna be people who are gonna take the option to stream it on HBO Max and they're gonna be like, I have a big TV and a crazy sound system, so it's still gonna be good. I don't think the impact is going to be lost. I mean, we saw it on a giant screen tonight, and you could you know, with the sound that was there, you could feel the bass and the music. The explosions could feel the hits. It had greater impact. It was so immersive. And unless you've got a big dollar TV and sound system to in some way replicate that at your house, I don't see that happening. No. The part of the experience will be lost. I mean, I'm yeah. glad it's there for people who want it, but I really do hope that you know that this still becomes a big hit in the theater, and I'm gonna throw this out there. I think it will be. I really do yeah, I'm sure Jimmy, with his updated information and in the entertaining info will confirm that or not, but I do see this becoming a big hit, and this could be the movie that revives theaters. I mean, how awesome would that be if it takes the combined powers of King Kong and Godzilla to save the theater industry and possibly even the movie industry?
1: This could be the movie
0: that proves people still want the theater experience.
1: Yeah, I think as much as I want that to be a kaiju movie, I think it'll be more of either a superhero or a sci-fi movie that will prove it.
0: Possibly. I mean, uh, Endgame was kind of the last pre-COVID movie that got everybody to go to the theater. Agreed. Yeah, And I mean, if, they're, if that's going to be the last truly big budget blockbuster ever seen at a theater when theaters were still in their prime in some form or another, not a bad movie to go out on. But again, True. I don't want it to go away.
1: Exactly. Yeah. I know someone who would tell you things have changed and that's what it is. And you just got to live with it. And I'm thinking, no, we can keep going to the theaters, showing them that we want that experience.
0: Yeah. I was also reading some things about because uh, theaters have a contentious relationship with studios because of all this. I think it was uh, AMC theaters actually started boycotting Universal because they were so ticked at them doing right. that simultaneous release thing because they they thought it's gonna. We're already struggling and now you're gonna eat into what little money that we can get. And I've heard stories about That's- theaters closing. There was a theater that was uh, in Fort Wayne that I only got to go to once. It was called the Cinema Grill, and I've heard that it got killed by COVID and the place had been open for 22 years.
1: Well, do you remember Well, when you left the island and would come to my house for weekends every now and then, we'd go into Grand Haven to see a movie with, mm-hmm. a, with a bunch of our buddies. Yes. That theater seems to have been closed.
0: Oh, that is so tragic. But the, I've read some articles that say like, they, there are ways that they can try to work with this. And I there were some interesting ideas that were presented. One was that theaters in this day and age and who knows because you know things may change in the next couple of months but one that was suggested was that theaters could try doing limited runs of movies that would then end up on netflix or other streaming services but for like the first two weeks or something that it comes out it's playing in theaters only and then it goes to streaming services so they can get a little bit of a piece of that pie
1: the theater that i go to normally what they are doing to deal with all of this, one of their things, they are providing an option to rent out an entire theater for a private showing. Mm-hmm. So it's like if you do an older school movie, I and mean, they have a very short list for what you can choose from. But if you do an older 80s or 70s movie or 50s movie, it's more like a 100 bucks for 20 people to go see it. Mm-hmm. If you do a current movie, it's 250 bucks and your limit is 50 people. And then you can also get a plan for food for like $130 that would provide popcorn and pop for everyone. Mm-hmm. So that is one of their things. And that's kind of a cool thing mm-hmm. that I think they should keep doing even after all of this. You know, if, if you have a theater with multiple theaters within the building, then I think doing something like that is a great idea. Mm-hmm. Someone might want to do it for a 40th birthday party, or maybe if you have kind of a exciting anniversary for an organization, you could do it for your employees or your volunteers. So I think there's some pretty cool stuff that could be done with that. I also think that movie theaters can keep showing movies, but also have a theater that maybe they have one theater that has a stage and they rent it out for The Odd Concert, or I've heard of churches that would meet in the movie theater on Sunday morning and would rent out the theater and use that as their location for meeting for worship. Mm -hmm. So theaters can look at those options as well to keep themselves going, but I don't think they should have to look at those options.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I also know that one of the other things that theaters have tried to do to survive is tapping into nostalgia. A lot of people have nostalgia attached to theaters. Like, you know, they had their first kiss, a first date, things like that, the significant moments. And now they've also started doing things like showing old movies, which you would think, well, you know, why would anyone want to go watch an old movie in a theater when they can watch it at home? But people still do it. Yeah. Because it's a different experience and that's what they want. And I will tell you, I've realized this movies, particularly I've noticed with older movies, they're better in a theater because that's how they were meant to be seen. Right. A few years ago, there was a re-release for Ghostbusters. Okay. Movie was 20, uh, it was like 30 years, 35 years old at that point, 30 plus years old. It looked better on the big screen than it did on a TV to me. Even with those you know, mid 80s special effects, they looked better. It was weird. But I think that's because that's how it was meant to be seen. Yeah. It's easier to spot the strings, weirdly enough, when you're watching it on a small screen. And you can do things like pause it, and analyze every frame. But when you're seeing it in the theater, it's just going by and you're immersed. But, you know, we'll have to wait and see. I know uh, I was finding numbers on here that was saying, like, in June of 2014... Only fourteen percent of adults said they preferred seeing a movie for the first time at a theater, as opposed to thirty-six percent who preferred a streaming service. So that's a little disheartening, and the theater industry lost a bunch of money. Movie industry, really. Period. Like I think in twenty nineteen they had it was uh, like eleven billion dollars overall, and then it dropped to about two point one in twenty twenty.
1: Yeah, COVID just slammed the entire entertainment industry. Uh-huh. From movies to amusement parks to all of it.
0: Yeah, it was basically a sixty-five percent drop. That was another number that I found. And now they kind of have to fight their way back uphill if they manage to survive. And now they have to get people back in the theater, and they have and to that's, do with the tough part. Yeah, and they have to find ways to get people to do it. Hopefully, with the vaccine, more people will feel more comfortable going out. I know you had a vaccine, your first vaccine shot. Did you get your second one yet? That's coming up
1: next week. Okay. So That's I will soon be getting it.
0: Yeah. You haven't gotten your superpowers yet, I see, but.
1: <laughs> no. walk to the and Mist next, next week.
0: Yes. Yeah. You'll have to let me know how that goes. But, you know, and it's interesting because I was finding other articles that was saying things like people thought that ebooks would kill regular books and it didn't. People were still doing it. People thought that being able to download a movie on iTunes would kill DVD sales and apparently they didn't. I'm still a huge right. advocate of physical media. I, yeah, have, I, my, I have my uh, my streaming service subscriptions, but I am a physical media guy, and I always yep. will be, because I don't like my favorite movies or whatever, their availability being dictated by the whims of a streaming service. I like being able to say, like, I have the copy. I will have this forever. I can stick yep. it in, and I can watch it whenever I want. Yep. So there are ups and downs to all of it. It's, strangely enough, a lot more complicated than you would think. It is. And there's a lot of things that I was finding, quotations and numbers and everything, based off of uh, this whole subject that we didn't get into all of it, and that's fine. This has been more of a philosophical discussion, and I like the fact that it's been more of a philosophical discussion than me just throwing a bunch of facts at people. But I think that is kind of the nature of this talk. And, you know, it, it's a difficult thing. And I think, if nothing else, the storied history of how this movie eventually got released is making people talk about that situation and what all of it entails. Cause it's more complicated than I think all of us are willing to admit, especially when you're talking about, do people feel safe and what do people value in their entertainment? Do they value control? Do they value camaraderie? What about the economics supporting local jobs? There's so many, it just starts branching out and affecting more things and it's so weird when at first you're just thinking, all I'm doing is deciding if I'm going to watch Godzilla versus Kong on HBO Max or go to my local theater. <laughs> yes. So to wrap up this segment, I get the impression that you're a theater guy. You much am rather a theater see, guy, yep. And I'm a theater the guy.
1: Theater. I do some substitute teaching, and it's nice when I see students at the theater. Oh, Yes. And for some of them, they're working there, and so that's one of the reasons why I would get snacks at the theater is to support a company that was employing mm-hmm. students of mine.
0: Mm-hmm. Because theaters make way more money on the concessions than they do the tickets. They do, yes. So telling you people, if you see Godzilla versus Kong in the theater, buy some snacks. That will help keep the theaters open. It will. And I do hope that the, you know, we don't lose the big blockbusters with the spectacle and we don't lose the community and the camaraderie that comes from the theater. It's special. And I think we really need to hold on to that. Mm-hmm. Well, this may, as Jimmy pointed out to me, this may end up being the longest episode we've ever done. I told myself I would never do it, but this is a big movie. It's a big deal with big monsters. So I guess it was, as Thanos put it, inevitable. <laughs> so, unless you've got anything else to add to that, Eric. I think it's time for me to do a very important segment of the show, the Patreon shoutouts. Have at
3: it. Go show a
0: Travis, Alexander, Michael Hamilton, Eli Harris, Chris cook damon noise danny damana and finally bex from redeemed otaku all right we're done with that <laughs> are you sure you didn't want to join in on this eric it's one of the most fun segments of the show now i'm sure <laughs> you're sure you didn't want to join or you're sure it's the most fun
1: <laughs> I'm sure I'm too tired to have done that well.
0: <laughs> it's been a long day. <laughs> it's been a long day. I will admit that. But with that out of the way, the, uh, let's move on. Just to let everybody know, the Kong quest, as I've been saying, is now over. I spent all well, good chunk of the first season going through the Kong movies, and now it's finally over. You know, this was supposed to be the original finale to it. Didn't quite work out. So now. In order to keep on track with the board mandated year of Gamera, oh joy, we'll be doing two, count them, two, Gamera movies in a row. Yippee skippy. The first one, our next episode, will be Gamera versus Viras Virus, I've heard it pronounced a couple different ways, where I will be joined by J.R. Villers and Jack G Man Hudgens from the drift space podcast I am a big Yes, Jimmy, as you have reminded me, for several months I know you're looking forward to that one because it's about a very adventurous chapter of your life. What chapter of your life isn't adventurous? Possibly your birth. Somehow I doubt that at this rate. <sighs> I'm telling you, Eric, you should hear the stories he tells on the show. Mm. Mm-hmm. And then after that will be Gamera versus Giron, quite possibly the most infamous Gamera movie of all time. That is the one, Eric, you might know this, where Gamera infamously does gymnastics.
1: Well, of course. Uh Uh-huh. He's got to, Turtles always do gymnastics, Nate. Didn't you know that?
0: Apparently I didn't. But I will be joined by Luke Giaconetti of the Earth Destruction Directive podcast and my friend Nick Meyer, who last I checked, ran several of his own podcasts. With that one, they'll be watching the MST3K episode, but I will not. I'm not allowed to. I have to bring my scholarly excellence to Gamera by watching the original uncut Japanese version, of course. Again, contractual obligations. But with that out of the way, no episode of the Monster Island Film Vault would be complete without shameless self-promotion. What do you got for us, Eric? All right. Well... I
1: have a website I regularly blog at, nerdchapel.com, where you can find several blogs mostly relating the interconnections between faith and nerdiness, where we talk about Jesus and we talk about kaiju and science fiction and all that good stuff together. I also just had an article come up at lovethynerd.com where I interviewed the designers of the board game Lost Ruins of Arnak. So if you like adventure and if you like board games, you should go to lovethynerd.com to look for that article. You can follow Nerd Chapel on Facebook and Instagram. And there's also a YouTube channel where I, from time to time, post videos. And you can also order books that I've written with some buffoon named Nathan.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that guy.
1: Yeah, yeah, that guy, uh, th- both of them are notes written for fans of these very hobbies. So we mm-hmm. take time to treat the hobbies with respect and also say, how do what happens when we combine this with scripture and what can we learn from both of them together?
0: Mm-hmm. And uh, if I remember correctly, I, as I've talked with that Nate guy, he says that you guys are working on a third one?
1: We are, yep.
0: I'm, I'm waiting for him
1: to get some things going with some editing, but we are definitely working on a third one.
3: mm-hmm, mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. That's good to hear. I look forward to it. I'll make sure that they get added to the Sekazawa library here on Monster Island.
1: Yes, and make sure Jimmy from NASA gets the new one. He really needs some encouragement in his life.
0: Uh, he just needs a whole heaping dose of Jesus, let me tell you. Uh, you know, yes. He won't come to church with me when I go see Reverend Mafune on Sunday mornings. And just, mm, mm, that yeah. is sad. I get it, Jimmy. You're not a religious guy, but we have a very... Good working relationship. So, you know, you know, that I understand. It's really how things should be, you know, to be honest. Yes. And also, listeners, just to let you know if you would like to support us on Patreon, feel free to jump on there and join MIFV Max. The link will be in the show notes. And if you want to send us feedback about Godzilla versus Kong or any other movie that we have covered on the show, listen to the credits to get the contact information. Thanks again for coming, Eric. We should have you stop by again soon. Well, as t would say,
1: indeed.
0: And with that, cue. Oh, no. What's happening? What's going on? Trouble? That's a word I don't like hearing around here. Kong? Again? Does this happen a lot? More often than any of us want to admit. What now, Jimmy? You
1: bought Jurassic Park for their security, and now I'm finding out you have issues with it here too?
0: Huh? We'll talk later. Now is not a good time. Drunken Rampage? Why does nobody listen when the Skull Island chief says not to let Kong have the red berry juice? You mean Feral Island red berry juice? Now is not the time to correct me, Eric. But yeah, Kong has a drinking problem. And I guess he made a little too merry at the GVK after party. That isn't good, Nate. Not good. Understatement of the year. Jet, go do something about it. You can't grow with all your singular point mods, mother trucker. You can understand him. Sort of. Uh, d- Jimmy, what's being done? The of course. Will someone please explain to me why Captain Gordon and his EDF mutant security, nor the other kaiju want to get into fights with the big guys? Jimmy, have you forgotten what happened the last time you used Mechanicong 2 to deal with Kong? It didn't exactly go well. And this is now. (sighs) Well, like the GVK trailer said, here we go. Thank you for listening to the Monster Island Film Vault, a podcast produced and hosted by Nate Marchand. If you enjoy the show and want to join the discussion, we'd love to hear from you. So email us at feedback at monsterislandfilmvault.com. Your message could be read on a future episode of the show. Our website is monsterislandfilmvault.com. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Monster Island Film Vault and on Twitter where our handle is at the Monster Isla One. You can also follow Jimmy from NASA on Twitter at NASA Jimmy and the Monster Island Board of Directors at Monster Isla BoD I have fulfilled my contractual obligations! And be sure to subscribe to us on YouTube, Spotify, and Twitch. The podcast logo was created by Tyler Souls from tylerdrawscomics.com. Our theme song is Wanderer on the Offensive Live Edit by B33J, Sarax, Juan Medrano, and nonsensical Lexus, which is a remix of Counterattack, Battle with the Colossus, and The Open Way, Battle with the Colossus by Koatani from the video game Shadow of the Colossus. All film and audio clips belong to their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended or implied. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and/or Podchaser to spread the word about the show. You can also support us by joining MIFV Max on Patreon. The Monster Island Film Vault is a Moonlighting Ninjas Media Production. Sayonara! Where's Godzilla when you need him? Probably trying to steal
1: back his crown from Gamera.
0: I'd almost bet money you're right. Kong just tripped over the helicopter that brought the guests to the island, and now he's smashing it like the Hulk. No one's gonna get to the chopper now. I'll call my intrepid producer. Jimmy, where the heck are you? It's a flying robot monkey. Well, hot dang, Jimmy. Is that an upgrade? It could always fly, huh? I just hope you know what you're doing.
1: Uh, the orca's not working. No, no, definitely not working. (sighs) Jimmy,
0: Kong's so drunk, he's not
1: listening to...
0: Good thing he threw that at Robot Kong and not the resort. That's why we have defense systems. Uh, Now what do we do? Maybe we should try talking to the drunken monkey? But if even the orca doesn't work... Uh, Wait, hold on. We have a whole group of people here he might listen to. His queens. Bingo. They might still be cooped up in the denim. Go find them and bring them here. Unga bunga. What are you doing, Jimmy? (laughs) The only thing you can do? The heck is... No, Jimmy, we have another option, don't do this, didn't you see? You just pimp slapped the 8th wonder of the world, and he's still on his feet, despite being drunk. And he strikes back with that trademark haymaker. You hurt Jimmy? Your pride is the least of my concerns. Nate! Great! Where are the rest of them?
1: She was the only one I could find.
0: (sighs) Oh my gosh. Well, thanks for coming, Gia.
1: What'd she say?
0: I think she said I'm here to help. Ah, see? I was right. You know sign language? Hmm? Sorta? It's similar enough to Jet Jaguar's goofy gestures. Plus, my sister... Jessica? No, my real sister, Sarah, learned sign language in high school, so I picked up a little from her. Gia, did Eric tell you what's going on? Alright, if I understand correctly, you need to get closer so Kong can see you? Okay, hmm, I got it. Jimmy, get your iron monkey over here. What are you doing? You'll see. Jimmy, we have Gia with us. Lower MK2's hand so we can get on it. And then take us to Kong so Gia can talk him down. Keep your weapons primed in case the big ape attacks. Don't worry, Mechanicong isn't nearly as scary as Mechagodzilla. Very
1: funny, Gia. I know that means coward.
0: But we are very brave. Ready, Gia? Okay, Eric, watch her. Steady, Jimmy. Okay, here he comes, Gia. It's all you now.
1: Oh, Kong and Gia are doing their finger bump.
0: Hopefully that means the big ape is sobering up. Okay, he's pulling back, and Gia is signing to him. What's she saying? Kong, it's me, Gia. Please stop smashing... Things you might hurt someone.
1: Hey, Kong is signing back.
0: Yeah, and I can barely keep up with Gia, so I'm focusing on her side of the conversation. Uh you will always be king. To me and the other girls.
1: Oh, poor Kong. He's upset because the board took his title away.
0: Yeah, and even Gamera, their so-called new king, being Team Kong, hasn't placated the Eighth Wonder. What is it, Gia? Kong is... Sorry, what should I tell him? Uh, tell him, go home, you're drunk. Okay, please, Kong, go home, you're drunk. Good girl.
1: Ah, That was amazing very well done gia
0: what's that gia kong just wants to be loved well that makes
1: sense he like everybody else has always wanted someone to care about him someone he could protect so he wouldn't have to be lonely anymore
0: it's that simple
1: i think so it's not good for man or kaiju to be alone
0: You'd think I'd know that after spending the first seven months of the podcast analyzing his filmography. Well, he'll be a bit hungover tomorrow, but this time it was Beauty Save the Beast. Right, Gia? Everyone knows the thumb up sign. Looks like Jimmy and Mechanicong agree with Gia. That's two thumbs up. I don't know about the rest of you, but I've had enough excitement for one night. <laughs> Monkeying around? Really, Jimmy? Really?